boys and ghouls. Welcome to the spinning in your grave, Doctors Off. <laughs> it's available on Crytunes <laughs> and Rotify. And, and Stitcher. Stitcher. <laughs> <laughs> and Boogle Play. <laughs> oh, I, can, I, can I have a deep affection. A deep affection for Tales from the Crypt. Yeah. It's trash. It's fucking. Yeah. Yeah, it's Garbo. It really is. It is. It's just utter garbage. I But I was a fan. Going back to the HBO series, I fucking loved it. Um, it's, it's, it, it knows it's trash. It like acknowledges that it's trash. And then you see the people that they get to participate in the <laughs> making of said trash. And you're like, God bless this production. Like you're really doing the Lord's work here. It used to be very late at night in the UK. I caught it a few times. Can't remember any of it now. I just remember, obviously, the the titular crypt... Well, not the titular Crypt Keeper. It was titular in the cartoon. Oh, that's right. It was Tales from the Crypt Keeper in the cartoon. Yeah, the cartoon was Tales from the Crypt Keeper, which I also barely remember. But I do remember we had a toy, an action figure of a zombie from the Tales from the Crypt Keeper cartoon, and its leg could come off. And maybe its arm could come off, and I think it glowed in the dark. Huh? I'm not. I, you know, I I don't know if I ever watched the cartoon. Like I know I knew it existed. Never never passed my radar. Uh, Tales from the Crypt itself, however, has a really fascinating history. Uh, if you're not aware of it, it's uh, it, it originated as a comic series, as you know, you alluded to in this film and and occasionally throughout the series. Uh, It was published by EC Comics in the 1950s. And it was in, it was one of many comics to come out at the time that was in sort of in response to American GIs coming back from World War II and not being so interested in superhero comics any longer and wanting something that was a little darker uh, a little more violent and more tinged with sex. And so there were a, a, a series of different comics uh, in, that were part of the sort of Tales from the Crypt umbrella, if you were. Mm. Um, and I can't remember the names of the others. I could look it up, but I won't. Uh, but what happened ultimately is that this led to a moral panic, as often happens in this country. And uh, because, you know, they, you know, think of the children, Jim. Obviously, obviously. What about the children? Right. For God's sake, in, in this blessed United States of America. Yep. We've got to always keep those children safe. And uh, as always seems to happen in these entertainment industries, when they start to fall under some governmental scrutiny, uh, can you guess what they did, Jim? They made a thing up. They did. They made a thing up in the name of self-regulation. Yep. They made a thing up and said, right, these are the rules. We're going to police ourselves. And so this was the formation of the Comics Code Authority. I've heard of that. Uh, It's no longer in existence, as far as I'm aware. Um, I think that they've brought an end to that now. Now, you, you could show a full willy in a comic now if you want. 
I've seen him. Yeah, well, it's, yeah, Watchmen had a full willy. Good. And that was in the 80s. I don't think you can show a full butthole, though. <laughs> I've had this idea. <laughs> I thought, I'm ready. I, <laughs> I, I proposed this to Justin once. That if... <laughs> if I was Twitch streaming on Twitch, right? <laughs> and at one point, I get up... Turn round, bend over, pull him apart, and show my full <laughs> and show my full butthole on Twitch <laughs> while saying, "I'm showing you my full butthole." Right? If I on did, Twitch. if I did that on Twitch, Polygon and Kotaku would be forced to type the words "full butthole" because <laughs> I'm just prominent enough that it would make those stories. It would. So they would have to write Jim Sterling. Prominent YouTube critic or whatever it is they call me. Outspoken YouTube critic. Shows Shows his full butthole. His full butthole and said, I'm showing you my full butthole. (laughs) They'd have to write it. And then then I'd win. It would almost be worth the death of your Twitch channel to make that happen. I mean, that's the big risk is it, it would be the death. But like the death of a son, there would be a massive explosion first. This Twitch channel died for our sins. Yeah. That's, That's when I cash out. <laughs> I call it the full butthole payday. I'm going to buy a house with my full butthole millions. And then tell so- my children years from now, full butthole money made this family. Sorry. No, no, it's fine. So the publisher of uh, EC Comics... Uh, and Tales from the Crypt and these other... And there were other characters that would introduce stories in these other ones. The Crypt Keeper's the only one who survived. But there was like a Grave Digger character, I think, or something like that. And uh, there was a female, uh, a witch. Uh, there was a witch character that would also... And so they would put these together into these comics, uh, you know, and have like a story from each of them. Uh, so the, the publisher at EC Comics, William M. Gaines, uh, he felt very personally attacked by all of this. He thought that this was uh, bigger comics companies taking advantage of this to drive him out of business, uh, which may or may not have been true. Uh, It's impossible to say. But Gaines was a, a cunning guy, and he realized that there was a loophole. There was a way that he could continue to deliver puerile, juvenile crap to kids, because the comics code only applied to comic books. Mm-hmm. It, it didn't apply to magazines. <gasps> and so this is how we got Mad Magazine. Uh, I didn't know this. That's the origin story of Mad Magazine, is that the comics code came into being. William M. Gaines, M. Gaines could no longer make his horror comics, so he created Mad Magazine instead. So there you go. We wouldn't have it. I, I don't know if it's, it would be a huge loss. It would probably be a pretty big cultural loss. There were some really really good stuff in Mad, up until the point that Gaines died and they started taking advertisers on. I read an issue of it once. I didn't get it. Yeah. I mean, it is very American. I'll, uh, I got a stack of them here. <laughs> you can leaf through. I don't get American late night talk shows. The jokes they tell on them. Yeah. And I don't get most of Saturday Night Live or Mad TV. Well, Saturday Night Live is not funny. 
uh, generally speaking. So you're right there. You're making the correct assessment. Every now and then, like, I see something that goes big on YouTube, and I'm like, okay, that is funny. Yeah, exactly. They have uh, maybe five to ten really sharp, good sketches a year, and then that carries the weight of the whole show. Right. Uh, and I have I have watched the entire series run of Saturday Night Live uh, a couple of times because I really like the first year and I really like bits and pieces of like the mid-80s cast and then the cast that I grew up with in the early 90s with Dana Carvey and Mike Myers and, and all of them. Um, that's familiar to me and so I can laugh at that. Uh, but then you have things, and I'm sure I've talked about this before. There is a year when Chris Elliott, who is one of my favorite comic actors, uh, I think he's terribly funny, but he is a weird fucking dude. Um, he had a sitcom called Get a Life where in the 90s on Fox where he was a newspaper delivery boy at the age of like 35 and living with his parents. Mm-hmm. And, and it was just absurdist, just kind of disgusting, weird stuff and very funny. And he but he was on Saturday Night Live for one season, I think. And there is a sketch that he does where he is uh, the father coming home uh, with his wife from a night out to uh, take the babysitter uh, and she, he's going to drive the babysitter home. And uh, on the drive home, he on the drive to her house, he plies her with Zima that's in the uh, uh, glove box of his car and then uh, date rapes her. Well, uh? And and the punchline, the thing that you're supposed to laugh at at the end of this is him uh, as prison doors slam on him screaming, I do it again, I do it again. Uh, um. Right. Uh. Uh-huh. uh right. Uh-huh. Yes. Okay. So, hmm. and now it's the, the the other joke about it is is that one of the uh, the the babysitter is um, a, an actor in drag. Oh, I get it now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Now you get it. Oh, now it's funny. Yeah. Right? Now now the penny's dropped. <laughs> mm-hmm. Fuck it. No. That was that was aired. Was it? It was aired. It's on YouTube. I can show it to you. Oh God. Well, yeah. I'm gonna have to. I say, but I have to look at that. I don't have to do anything, but, but, but you I will. are compelled now. Yeah, yeah, out of sheer <laughs> ghastly curiosity. When when was that? Uh, the night is. Yeah, it would have been probably ninety two, ninety three, ninety four. Because Zima was out. Zima was a big thing then. Uh, so yeah, yeah early nineties. Um, horrifying. Horrifying. And actually, I have uh, uh, later in the episode, we'll talk about another very, very dark bit of television that I've discovered as a result of researching for this. I have dug some deep shit here. Uh, Demon Knight has an amazing cast. It does that. And it's funny. And it's it's not I guess it is low budget. Yeah, like the effects aren't great. It's well, here's the thing. It's I I disagree that the effects aren't good when it's like when it's just cartoons when they do like cartoon lightning and cartoons. Some of the prosthetics pretty bad too. Now the the monster designs are great. The monsters look great. The suits are fantastic, but they've got some surprisingly good fake heads in this, and they're yeah, the they hardest do. thing to do. They've helped 
some of it like by making like Dick Miller all demony before his head comes off. Right. But even so, there's a reason why when most films do a beheading or whatever, they cut away quick. So you can't see how crap it looks. But this one had full zoom in, like the, the head being carried into the camera, full close-ups. They were proud of that, and they were right to be proud of that. Yes. Yes, they were. Some of the, like, the puppet stuff, like the, the kid when he turns, I love that thing. No, they're, they're incredible. There are some crummy effects. The hand is really bad. The hand's bad. Yeah. Some of the scenery is like it's clear that they didn't paint all of the plywood. But, but like the sponge, the sponge is such a well done effect. Yeah. Like that looks so good. He flops sponge out of his mouth. Looks really good. Um, so yeah, there's, it's mid budget maybe. I don't know what the budget was, but it's, it's a step above B-movie. It is a B-movie, but it's a step above your average B-movie in terms of like prop quality. This is like, Good classic schlock, though. Like, that's what's so good about it is mm-hmm. very much like, you know, everything else Crypt Keeper. Like, it knows it's garbage. And yet, every time I come back to it, I'm surprised at how above garbage it is. It's a, it's a genuinely good film. Like, it's an entertaining, stupid, but in that good way, comedy film. Mm-hmm. With great performances. With amazing performances. Everybody's committed to this, which is delightful because so often we see these, you know, B-movies and anybody who has a name that shows up in them is there for their paycheck. Yeah. Well, I mean, let's talk about Billy Zane for a moment. Well, well, we have to. Yeah. I mean, I should have explained this not like nearly 15 minutes in, but we're not doing Detective Pikachu. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Um, I said it on Twitter, but yeah, we're doing like, because we did Treasure of the Four Crowns last year, we're doing that again, like now, like a non-game thing for New Year. Uh, It was a treat. Um, But anyway, one of the big reasons this one was such an easy go-to is Billy Zane, who we've talked about several times, because he's been in a few shitty crap films we've watched. Mm-hmm. But this is him at his Billy Zaniest, <laughs> if I may. If, if, if I may say that with my tongue planted firmly in my cheek. <laughs> yeah. And he's. Uh, he, it, well, he gets to just completely let it go. He gives us a range. Mm-hmm. He gives us a range. He's cool and collected. He's. Wackadoo Freddy Krueger antics. Uh, he gets to do voices as he tailors the way he sort of tempts people or whatever in different ways, like Freddy Krueger a bit. He gives us a complete range of the, the Zane collection mm-hmm. is what he gives us. And he's great. Yes. No, I mean, there's, there's not much. I mean, I wonder, I, it is one of the situations where I'm sure it's all scripted. Like, I don't think he ad libs. Uh, generally, he doesn't strike me as that sort of actor who does a lot of ad lib. Yeah, uh, and and so it it feels like it was written to his talents, and he gets to just go over the top with them. Uh, it, it's it, it, it's perfectly keyed into him as the things the things in terms of the things he can do well, which is be creepy, but at the same time really attractive yeah because he's a good looking man oh yeah he's a handsome lad 
and and so he and, he, and and then he can just get silly, and he has that range. And it's a shame that you don't get to see an actor portray that much range too often. Yeah, uh, when they have it, like he does, and he's just like his performance is excellent from the off because when you first watch this film, he could be the good guy. Mm-hmm. You don't know yet. He could be the good guy, and he plays it fairly straight in that sort of. He could be like a private detective who doesn't quite play by the rules and is like, un, un what should you say, um, what's that word, dissonantly calm in the face of all the weird shit. And then when he is in the hotel and we see face to face with the other potential protagonist at that point, his demeanor changes really subtly so every time it's just him looking at the other guy he's got this smirk on it just adds a little touch of sleaze that wasn't present before and it unravels and then of course because it's a tales from the crypt thing then it's just the head you know yeah head being punched through um but up until that moment like he's really good at anything in this film like he's got to do subtle and then completely over the top. And he does both, like, excellently at the drop of a hat. And something that really, I think, aid, aided the questioning early on and wondering, you know, who's the, if he's the good guy, bad guy, whatever, all that, is he was the marketing for this. You know, he was the guy on the poster. Of course, yeah. Holding the, the case and looking dramatic and pointing. And it's very easy to see that and think, oh, shit, Billy Zane's the hero. Yeah, I wish they'd have played with it more. Mm-hmm. Like it, the ruses rumbled pretty quickly into the film. Yeah, I guess they want to really get to their heads being exploded and blood and guts everywhere, which is all good. I could have dealt with five more mo- minutes in this movie, though. That that let him play that up a little more. Yeah, just this idea of this like unspoken cat and mouse where we know one of them's off, but we don't quite know, and they know. Like, I, I think they could have really built on that mystery more for a bit, um, and because Zane was really good at that as well, just suddenly getting, as you say, a little bit sleazier. But then the other guy, you know, grabbing... Um, Jerry Line? Someone with a... Gra- yeah, with a, a knife to her neck and everything. So it they could have played off that more. But they they did have a lot of explosions of body parts to get to, so... Yeah, they had a lot of effects planned and they wanted to show them all off, and they should have. They, they were right to do it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's see. I mean, I think that's everything I wanted to bring up before we actually get into it, I think. Uh, talked about Tales from the Crypt, talked about Billy Zane. Uh, oh, a few other things, though. Uh, this was obviously the first Tales from the Crypt movie. There is another Tales from the Crypt movie, Bordello of Blood. I'm not even sure if I've seen that one. And nor should you. No. No, it, it, it doesn't hold a candle to the first one. Uh, you can't... Dennis Miller is no Billy Zane, my friend. No. Uh, and apparently, according to uh, accounts, that movie was a bit of a problem because... As opposed to Billy Zane, and that's kind of why I said I don't think Billy Zane ad-libs. I know Dennis Miller does. Yeah. And that was apparently a bit of an issue, keeping Dennis Miller focused on the script. Oh, wow. So, yeah, there's there's some of that there. But there were uh, a couple of other films that are notable that were considered at one time to be part of the Tales from the Crypt franchise. And it was originally intended as a trilogy. 
for which Demon Knight was going to be the second film. Mm. Uh, and the key was supposed to appear in all of them. It does crop up in Bordello of Blood again. Okay. Um, at the end of this movie, it teases uh, a, a follow-up that never materialized. That was uh, supposed to be uh, a New Orleans zombie film uh, that was to come out the following year. Uh, There's another movie planned that was given the title Body Count. No idea what that's about. And then uh, also the Quentin Tarantino, Robert Rodriguez film. Uh, was it um, uh, From Dusk Till Dawn? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Great film. Originally uh, considered to be a Tales from the Crypt film. Oh, um, I could and, see that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. And I would have preferred that to Bordello of Blood. They're very, very similar. Um, I guess uh, from what I've managed to piece together, it seems like the reason Bordello of Blood was made is that the production studio, I think it was Universal, yes, Universal Pictures, uh, was worried that they would lose Robert Zemeckis to DreamWorks. Uh, DreamWorks was courting him and there was talk that he might go sign with them and zemeckis and bob gale his writing partner these are the two people responsible for back to the future remember they wrote bordello of blood back in the mid-70s and in order to keep zemeckis they said well we'll we'll make your movie Uh. so that's that's how we got bordello of blood uh but a couple of other uh, another film that that uh, would have been an amazing Tales from the Crypt fit, I think, uh, was uh, The Frighteners, directed by Peter Jackson, okay. starring Michael J. Fox. That was another one that at one time in the lead up to production might have been a Tales from the Crypt. So it's it's an interesting, uh, there's an interesting sort of, I don't know, B-movie attraction to this series thematically. You can't find the show anywhere anywhere right now, I don't think, yeah. either. No, the the um, rights. There's rights problems with it. Oh, of course. Yeah, there always will yeah. be bloody rights. Yeah, problems. So licensing. Yeah, but you can, yeah, you can find episodes on YouTube, and I do I do kind of recommend going and watching some old tales from the crypt because they're pretty decently written B schlock, um, by and large, and and. and always bookended by the worst puns imaginable they're really bad like it's like i'd I'd like a bit of wordplay i don't think puns are uniformly terrible no but they're really bad ones you're no gory cooper like they're all right they're so tenuous Mm -hmm. and that is part of the attraction to them i hate the crypt keeper (laughs) (laughs) i fucking hate the crypt keeper (laughs) he's yeah I, I think that's a perfectly fair assessment to hate the Crypt Keeper because he's fucking annoying and his jokes are bad. Yeah. yeah. He's basically Jeff Dunham without the need for a human on stage. Which is Jeff Dunham. There's no <laughs> need for Jeff Dunham to be on stage. That was a sharp follow-up, sir. Thank you. That was, oh, that was razor's edge. <laughs> All right, are we ready to do this? Oh, uh, yeah, why not, why not? All right, all right. Let's talk about Demon Knight. No! No. 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 We open with the lengthy introductory sequence from the Tales from the Crypt series. Moving in first person to a mansion, down to a basement where the Crypt Keeper giggles. He goes... It's been in my fucking head all week. Yeah, it'll do that. Oh, 
And I do like the song a lot. Yeah. At least it got Toss a Coin to your wits around my head for a minute. <laughs> well, and, and I like the opening sequence to, to Tales from the Crypt. Like, it sets the mood, but it is like 90 seconds. It's a long, yeah. And they would trim it for syndication. You know, when it would air other places, they would put some fade cuts between them because, it, you know, just to reduce the amount of time yeah. you're wandering around through this, you can fit some commercials in. You can literally fit in two <laughs> commercial breaks by cutting the intro down. I got to wonder if it's because sometimes I feel with effects on these things is they're just so proud of it. And it's 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 beautiful. It's just too long. Yeah. And I was kind of stunned that they put the whole thing into the movie. But there it is. Uh, we cut to a woman in bra and panties, stripped down so because her clothes are covered in blood, cooing on the phone to her lover about how she killed her husband, and they're now free to spend all his money. <laughs> this actress is Peggy Trentini. She was a B-movie actress, active from the early 80s until 2001. Uh, this... And I say active, but there's like an eight-year gap between the, you know, mid-80s and when she appears in Ghoulies 4 as Monica. Right. Which is the last credited performer in the cast. Oh. She'd go on to work in a variety of basic cable and direct-to-video skin flicks until leaving the industry in 2001. Uh, she now has a real estate business in Orange County. But in 2012... She self-published a memoir. You sounded like you were stalking her. I'm not stalking her. I just found this interesting. <laughs> You'll never guess what she did last night. Well, it's, 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 it is interesting because I think that, that is a... Having been in the real estate industry yeah. and knowing Orange County, this seems like a perfectly natural career transition for a B-movie skin flick star. Okay. Totally normal. I believe that is the, the job leap you made as well. It, it is also a job leap I made. I went from B skin flicks to to yeah. real estate. Yeah, yeah. Had less success in both than she did, I'm afraid. <laughs> but uh, she self published a memoir in 2012 uh, with a really terrible title uh, that I, I didn't even bother writing down because it's dumb. Uh, it was called Goodies Five. Right, uh, but. It, the memoir details various brief relationships she had with celebrities during her acting career, including Vince Neil, Johnny Depp, Sylvester Stallone. And it's a really, a, from all accounts, seems to be a pretty scuzzy tell-all. Oh. Uh, the reviews overwhelmingly note that it's poorly written. Overwhelmingly. Like, I don't, the only reviews I read that, didn't comment on how poorly written from a grammar and editing perspective it was, were people who just loved the book and had nothing critical at all to say about it. Right. Maybe that's her style. Maybe it is. And maybe that's why she had to self-publish it. It's something esoteric. Yeah. So <laughs> like the, the big budget fucking publishers, this is true in books as well as in games, don't know what they're fucking doing. So you, my advice to anyone listening who has <laughs> written a book, just self-publish it. Just, That's right. Just type it out on, on sheets of paper, staple them together, and throw them at your local librarian. <laughs> so put this on your shelf, you animal. 
It's also been observed that this is riddled with, at best, inaccuracies, if not outright fabrications, based this on... This book sounds great, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Based on details like, you know, when Vince Neil's daughter died. Oh. And the condition of when she died. And and a lot of times, Peggy, Peggy's age is very in question throughout a lot of this this uh, book sounds amazing i want it i want what's it called the telltale heart oh uh, let me see here what what is it well okay so peggy trentini oh okay she was also apparently this that's weird i i guess i found the other information elsewhere and not wikipedia yeah so i just did a wikipedia search for her and it redirected to the swedish bikini team so she was also on the swedish bikini team good which was if you're not aware a um oh it, it was a, a a marketing thing like it was a bunch of american actresses in blonde wigs right claiming to be the swedish bikini team <laughs> we are fucking awful that's amazing but uh yeah so it's called once upon a star or something mm-hmm. like that i mean it's the most trite Oh, once upon yeah a star. once upon a star celebrity kiss and tell stories by peggy trentini it's free on Kindle Unlimited. You can read it. Feel free. I'd love to find out. I'd love to find out all of those juicy celebrity secrets. Uh, the, the the one bit I managed to glean from the reviews is that Sylvester Stallone is seemingly an asshole. So, surprising no one. Right. So, she has the corpse in an acid bath in the basement. Oh, right, yeah. We're talking about Demon Knight. Yeah, talking about Demon Knight. And we can see that bubbling. And she takes her own bath with breasts exposed for our pleasure and covering her face with a washcloth. And as such, she's unable to see who's coming into the bathroom Uh and surprised to discover it's not her lover, but her supposedly dead husband with a hatchet. And as she's about to be brutally slain, we hear cut and it's revealed that we're on a film set where the crypt keeper is directing. There are some really bad puns. I did not write any of them down. Uh, I remember gory cooper because that hurt me on an emotional level i think that's the only one i remember as well yeah uh they're bad uh and he lobs these at the guy playing the killer in this scene who is not wearing any sort of mask because he was only shot from the back as john larroquette who is not credited in this but that doesn't mean i'm not going to talk about john larroquette for a few minutes (laughs) Because I had the opportunity now to talk about John Larroquette. Um, so at this point in his career, he's done with Night Court. And he's actually in the latter series, latter seasons of the John Larroquette show. Now, I knew this show existed. But I'd never watched it. And I love John Larroquette. But for some reason, it just slipped right past me. And now I know why. The John Larroquette show... Uh, aired on NBC from 1993 to 1995. And the first season introduces John Larroquette's character. Okay, first off, his name is John Hemingway. We'll get to why that's significant in about two seconds. Because the story is about a, a recovering alcoholic. Oh, there you go. A little on the nose with your Hemingway reference, but fine. Uh, but yeah, he's like a got some advanced literary degree and is an alcoholic and has taken the job as a night manager of a bus depot in St. Louis. It is 
quite possibly one of the darkest sitcoms I've I know to have existed maybe ever. Wow. But definitely in the mid 90s. To illustrate this, I will now uh explain a joke thus ruining it. The main character Johnny has this secretary that helps him it's going to be helping him out and it's his first day at the place he shows up she's giving him the tour takes him to his office his office has only a desk uh upon which the desk is a half empty bottle of whiskey and on the ground is a chalk outline of the prior person who'd had the job and the woman explains to john larroquette's character that she sees six people die in this job and that this is nothing special. And as she's wandering back out of the office and walking away, he's like, wait, 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 you've seen six people murdered in this job? And she says, no, honey, two of them were suicides. Oh. That's what we're working with here. That That is macabre. Yeah. About five minutes later, they managed to stick a statutory rape and prison rape joke one after another in a 30-second bit of dialogue that are sharp, like well-constructed, would not necessarily play today, but you can see, like, there was thought put into it. They weren't just like, oh, we're going to do rape jokes. Like, they constructed rape jokes with the aim of being legitimately funny. They are not necessarily so funny today. Um, outside of the, like, oh, my God, I literally cannot believe this was set on television. But there it is. You know, and we forget about how casual prison rape jokes were so, like, popular in the 90s. That is true. They were everywhere. They were a big, big thing. Um, so I'm going to watch the rest of this first season of the John Larroquette show um, because I have to see what else they do. Uh, in subsequent seasons, in order to save the show, John Larroquette convinced NBC that he would soften it. They changed it to a day shift and they gave him a love interest who was not a prostitute as opposed to the first season's love interest. That's the show we're working with. And I want to see it. I want that first season. So I'm, I, But I'm very intrigued. Very, very intrigued. Um but anyway, love Larroquette. The other thing I found out about Larroquette, and I'm very, very frustrated by this because I want to know more. In 2018, he shot a film. It's not out yet. Uh, IMDb says it released January 1st of this year. I want to see it. It's called Keep Hope Alive. But that's not the original title. The original working title is Weekend at Bernie's Keep Hope Alive. John Larroquette as bernie okay i am there i'm there for it um the premise is he's a a politician running for office who dies suddenly and his campaign aides are trying to maintain the ruse that he's still alive topical mm-hmm yep so i'm i'm very curious to see where that lands but i won't pay for an imdb pro subscription to find out who its distributor <laughs> is to try and track down more information uh but i must must watch that when it comes out i never i've never seen weekend at bernie's i've seen tra trailers like it reached a level of pop cultural osmosis that one feels like they've seen it sure but i know i haven't seen it it's Jonathan Silverman is not someone like it's it, he was supposed to be a hot comic property. And he also had his own sitcom for a while that people really loved. I never really got into him. I didn't get it. Uh, I know he's sort of a straight man figure and I understand those as a concept, but I didn't find him interesting enough 
as a straight man in anything I saw him in. Uh, and Weekend of Bernie's is, is probably the best movie I've seen Jonathan Silverman in. Uh, it, yeah, it's, it, it's funny. It's not believable by any stretch of the imagination, no. but it's goofy to see these people dragging around uh, a dead body. And a credit to the actor who played Bernie Lomax, because it is not, it's got to be hard to play dead that long. Sure. And be convincing. Um, so it's a fun, it's worth, it's worth a watch. Um, I like it. So, uh, at this point, the Crypt Keeper introduces the movie and I'm not, I'm, I'm just not, not. They, nope. at least it looked to me like they kind of put, like superimposed the Crypt Keeper's head onto a human's body at one point. It's, it's very clear that there is stop motion going on, um, throughout the scenes where he's walking through the crowds of, and it's really obvious stop motion. I thought it was a person in a suit. That's what it looked like to me. Oh no. It's, he stands out so differently from the background, uh, actors as he's moving through them. I see. I thought that was the puppet head superimposed on a human. I don't know. He moves too stiffly to be natural. I'm, I can normally spot stop motion. I mean, I could be wrong. Then I could be wrong. Here's the thing. We don't know. Further research needed. Yeah. If somebody knows, somebody involved in the production of Demon Knight knows the answer to this. I know there's a body double for the Crypt Keeper in the credits. Yes. I know that much. So Filters, Hey Man, Nice Shot plays as two men drive down a lonesome road. One of them is a desperate looking white guy uh, played by... Who was that? What's his name? John, uh, no, no, uh, William Sadler, who has done a lot of, like, little bit party things. He was death in um, Bill and Ted Go to Hell, or, or uh, what, what's the name of the second Bill and Ted? <laughs> I think it was Bogus Journey. Bogus Journey. I wish it was Go to Hell. I'm ready. I'm, I'm here for Bill and Ted 3. I'm ready I'm, for it. I'm very intrigued. I find... I find the original films impossible to watch now. Really, as an adult, I think that, uh, and and I've, I've had I've had friends who were really really into film who maintained that this is like one of the greatest movies of the twentieth century. Which that might be a stretch. I do think it's pretty good. Like it, it the the characters are so well defined, all of them. Uh, and, and it's just goofy. Uh, so I, I get a kick out of it. And I also really like anytime George Carlin gets to act in something. That, yeah. I mean, he's, he's a delight. He's a personal favorite of mine. I remember, I just remembered there was a Bill and Ted cartoon. Mm-hmm, there was. And a really awful video game. Everything got a cartoon back then. Yep. There's going to be an Aliens cartoon at one point, but it never made it past planning. So William Sadler, uh, been in lots of stuff that you've seen. Uh, probably Die. Uh, you've probably seen Die Hard Two. Um, audience member. Die Hard Two is just Die Hard again, but an airport, and yet somehow it's still great. Yeah, it's well, it's because Die Hard's great, just conceptually. There's only so far maybe you could drag it out, but they oh, you know, and they tried. They did. They they're still trying. I think. Um, he also uh, he also appears in Bordello of Blood, um, so that's that's a thing. He's just a mummy in that, but he's I think the only actor who appears in both. Uh, 
what else has he done? He was in Wonderfalls, and uh, he might have been the star of the, the show Traveler, now that I think about it. I could be wrong about that. But yeah, so he's been around a long time, still around, still doing stuff. He was in the TV series of From Dusk Till Dawn. That's cool. I guess. I don't know. I didn't even know that show existed. Oh, God, he's uh, he's reprising his role as Death in Bill and Ted Face the Music, so that makes me happy. No, there you go. Yeah. And he's going to play Criswell in The Final Days of Ed Wood Jr., well. which I didn't know we needed another Ed Wood biopic. I thought that the one was enough. It, not, not these days. I guess. There's never enough content. Just look at the amount of shit I churn out. Uh... So the other guy's Billy fucking Zane and a tan duster and a black Stetson following him. Fuck yes. I'm here. I'm ready. I love this song in this scene. It's perfect. It, the, the, the song came out at just the right time so that it could exist to open Demon Knight. <laughs> and it's wonderful. Uh, so Whitebread starts running out of gas. So he pulls astride the road and begins unloading a rifle into his into his pursuer's car. And the engine catches fire, but the car keeps coming. And he barely manages to escape his vehicle before there's a collision that causes both vehicles to explode. Uh, Cracker sprints from the scene. I'm going to use a lot of, uh, of slang for white people here until his name is said. Fill your boots. Uh, he stops long enough to look at his hand, which has a few stars on it and a few more appearing on it as he's gawking. Okay, don't know what that's all about, but cool, very mysterious. Coming to the town of Wormwood, New Mexico, Casper the Friendly here tries to break into a, a car outside of a diner when a kid spots him. I don't like that kid. I don't like that kid either. He's got the berries and cream lad hair mm -hmm. and a weird little red face that looks dirty even though it's not. It looks smudged with mud. He's well cast. He looks like a little shit. And he acts like a little shit. And, and he is a little shit. Yeah, he is a little shit. Uh, but when he can't be bribed with a quarter, like, uh, come on, dude, it's 1993 or five, 1995. Yeah. Quarter? Give the kid a dollar. Give him a baseball cap to wear backwards. That's right. So the kid calls for his dad and our hero has to run off into the night again. And he then comes across a drunk, Uncle Willie, who offers to share his whiskey. Dick Miller. And provides him Dick Miller. Finds him some info. Good old Dick Miller from many, many people know him from Gremlins, the Gremlins films. Mm -hmm. um, he's in Chopping Mall. He's, he, he's great at this. He's always like just an old bloke in a film. He's just the sort of the crusty, crusty neighbor guy. Uh, he's also been in The Terminator. He was in Little Shop of Horrors, Amazon Women on the Moon. Uh, he is, he was in Police Squad. <laughs> like, Anybody who was in Police Squad is okay by me. That's true. Police Squad is is still really holds up. A lot of those films do because something that inane just works. It's it, there's a timelessness to something incredibly stupid. Mm -hmm. Good stuff. Yeah, uh, yeah, really good stuff. So back at the scene of the crash, a couple of cops are assessing the situation. This is uh, Deputy Bob and Sheriff. Who the fuck cares? And Billy Zane comes out from behind the burning vehicles, holding a briefcase and asking if the cops saw the guy he was chasing. Airbags gotta love him. I love, yeah. love how dismissive he is with this. Yeah. 
That's what he says when the police try and uh, question why he just came out of a burning wreck. He says, airbags got to love them. But he says it, as you say, dismissive, but almost in this tired way as well. Like, like he's had to explain why he's not dead to lots of people over the years. He's so over trying to explain why he's not dead. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's a good time. Uh, he tries to persuade them that tracking down the dude he's after is way more important about, than worrying about some little traffic accident. Now cut to the drunk leading our mysterious stranger to a hotel, formerly a Spanish mission. A dude has to look at his hand again, which now has seven stars on it, and he cryptically says that it's the place he's looking for. Now, inside, we're introduced to Cordelia, the local prostitute, played by Brenda Bach, and the hotel's proprietor, Irene, the iconic CC Pounder, CCH Pounder. Uh, so, Brenda Bach, she also started in the B-Circuit, a lot like our friend Peggy Trentini earlier, uh, beginning with Hard Bodies 2 in 1986. Superior to the original Hard Bodies. Mm-hmm. And she also has the Never distinction of having appeared in Star Trek The Next Generation, Season 1, Episode 8, Justice. Justice has is, is significant in Star Trek The Next Generation for having been the first episode to have been ordered after the uh, show's pilot uh, was, you know, successful. Uh, it was the eighth episode shot. It required multiple rewrites, and it is still a steaming pile of shit. Uh, <laughs> this is the one where they beam down to a planet that uh, is naturally beautiful, and nobody has uh, been to it before, but there are people there uh, that are intelligent and sentient. And so they go down and visit them. And they, oh, we're just going to do R&R. And then they have some sort of weird arcane laws. And Wesley Crusher falls on some flowers and is to be put to death for them. Oh. That's that's the plot of the episode. It's really dumb. Uh, and also, just if I'm going to Star Trek nerd out a little bit... Um, they totally violate the prime directive by even going to talk to these motherfuckers. So, you know, what are you going to do? Well, there you go. Court martial, throw him out, dishonorable discharge, kick him out of spaceship, watch him fly about. Renderbach also starred in Death Spa, which is a pretty good schlock B movie. I've heard of Death Spa. Mm -hmm. About a uh, an L.A. fitness place that is computerized and starts killing all of the people who uh, go to use the equipment. That's fun. Uh, and after this, she had a bit of her, during this time, she's having a bit of a hot streak. Uh, she had starred in Hot Shots Part 2 a couple of years prior, and she's going to follow this with uh, uh, the supporting role in Under Siege 2 with Steven Seagal. So good for her. Getting, getting out there. Well, and I want to compare, you know, I want to draw some comparison here between her and uh, Peggy Trentini because Brenda Bach does not have a tell-all book. <laughs> and she clearly put in the work. She clearly put in the work to go from B-movies to starring roles in vehicles and, you know, having a real career. I'm not judging Peggy Trentini when I say this. Well, if she wasn't messing around on movie studios that much, maybe she'd have fucking time to write her tell-all book, but she's lazy. Yeah, that's it. Uh, you know, I, I, Brenda, get your shit together. But sort it out. You know, start a real estate firm and write a tell-all book. I want to know what Billy Zane's busy hands have been up to. <laughs> Brenda Bach, 
Uh, so that's Brenda Bach, uh, CCH Pounder, as I say, iconic, uh, mostly known for her TV and voice work, but uh, uh, you would know her from as Stonecutter from Biker Mice from Mars. Yeah. Uh, she's also the voice of Amanda Waller, as far as I'm concerned, um, and, and portrays her in all of the Arkham games. Mm. And she's the Brotherhood scribe uh, Vree in the original Fallout. Well, there you go. So she goes way back. Um, and, and on screen, uh, she's in warehouse 13 where she's just wonderful. What a great performance from her there, uh, for another sort of kitschy B strange show, uh, lover. So Irene, CCH Pounder, she doesn't normally take guests short term, but she changes her tune when she sees the fat stacks, Mr. Smith, his name on the register is holding. She then calls for Jerry line, who's played by... Jada Pinkett, a relative newcomer at this point. Uh, her star is just on the rise. Uh, she shows up to her room, uh, and then she or she calls for her to show white guy to his room, and, and, and Jerry Line sasses back now. She's trying to clean the oven, but does lead him up there. And they have this dialogue scene where he's creepy, and she's really standoffish, and they're trying to develop something. <laughs> and this isn't landing. I don't think a, a lot of the Jerry Line stuff doesn't land for me in this movie uh, until, you know, she does her final girl stuff. Yeah. Which, a uh, spoiler, I guess. Uh, but she's, you know, until she really pulls it together at the end, she's just kind of there. Uh, downstairs, Cordelia is chatting with Wally, played by Charles Fleischer. He's the local bear, mail carrier. Um, who not is, to jump too far ahead, but just to confirm a name. The kid's called Billy, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Billy, Willie, and Wally. That's correct. I want to see a film about those three going on adventures. Right? A road trip movie with Billy, Willie, and Wally. I mean, it'd be... I think it's... Diff, uh, is Dick... I don't think Dick Miller's still around. Uh, I don't know uh, if Dick Miller's... If he is, fucking get him involved. No. He... Oh, he just passed away a year ago. Oh, uh, January shame. 30th. There was always work for Dick. That's the thing. You need a crotchety old guy. There's, there's always work for Dick. Yeah. It's a That's... shame he passed on. He would have been brilliant in Willy, Billy and Wally. Mm. Now, who would we recast? Well, Wally would be played by Leo Sayer because he looks just like him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Dick Miller would be played by... Oh, I don't know. Danny DeVito. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. And then Billy would be played by the berries and cream guy. He's probably not up to much. <laughs> Cast PewDiePie. Oh! Could you imagine? Oh no! So yeah, Willie or Wally is the local mail carrier who's just lost his job after having been accused of stealing mail. He's played by Charles Fleischer. You would probably know him as the doctor who tries to treat Nancy in the original Nightmare on Elm Street. Dr. King, uh, the sleep therapist. Oh. Uh, you probably better know his voice as Roger Rabbit and Benny the Cat from Who Framed Roger Rabbit. I know those characters. I've seen that film. And he's reprising both of those roles in Who Framed Roger Rabbit 2 coming out in 2022. Oh, they are doing a... Oh. Yeah. Is, Disney's pulling that Is out. Danny DeVito going to be in it? I... Because he, he could do the Bob Hoskins thing. Someone's got to, right? Bob Hoskins was great. He was so good in that. Oh, man. You want to talk about it? just a, a great 
drunk alcoholic detective performance. He He's just a brilliant actor he was. He was great. Yeah. And nobody could could I mean almost nobody could seem as put upon as Bob Hoskins. Yeah. Uh, he just he felt so burdened <laughs> all the time. Uh so as Cordelia is primping in a hand mirror, she expresses sympathy for the pathetic wretch before uh, calling up to Jerry Line, asking about her laundry. When Jerry Line refuses to put Cordelia's guacamole-stained sheets on her bed, Wally offers, and a still sympathetic Cordelia goes to muse to Irene about giving Wally a freebie to cheer him up. Yeah. Aw, that's nice. Hook her with a heart of gold. Classic trope. I like the idea that this hotel... Is ran like a Wild West saloon. Mm-hmm. In the like, she's working there as part of the hotel experience, and like every mm. hotel has a resident sex worker to fulfil the needs, and they can be sort of chased around the room by a guy in a cowboy hat going ah ha, ha, with his grasping hands, while she's like, "Oh, you cheeky bastard!" That's that's how I think saloons were. <laughs> This is the the second movie I've seen in the last like month and a half that has the hotel with the prostitute that hangs out trope. The hotels have that. Their hotels like I know you can't get it at, a, at like uh, a Hilton. No, no. But this is uh, the movie. The other movie I saw, and and we might have to cover this at some point. Um, it's called Computer Chess, and it's very strange. It's a little black and white indie movie about um, people uh, about it's set in the 80s or late 70s, early 80s, maybe like 1981. And it's a convention of computer chess programmers competing to have the best computer chess program. And so they're competing the programs against one another. And then as it goes on, there develops this sort of strange artificial intelligence subplot uh, or well, no, that is the plot, but it just gets weird interesting movie we, we may have to discuss it at some point uh but it has that same thing with the prostitute hanging out outside and i yeah sleazy motels and, and prostitutes they should always be together i think uh definitely staff someone and pay them better than you know i mean i realize that that you know they make their money on tips but you know come on that's no excuse to pay them less than minimum wage they're providing a service i'm just saying Hotel owners, pay your prostitutes appropriately. Right. So Billy Zane is being driven in the back of the police car, and he explains that he's chasing a thief, which doesn't seem to the deputy to be a satisfactory reason for him to be driving so fast on these roads. And suddenly they get a call on the radio about the attempted car theft at the diner, so the cops head there next. Mr. Smith is hungrily eating at the hotel, and he's eating something that's been covered in a lot of ketchup. Matter. He's just eating some matter. It's green-ish. <laughs> but I don't know what the bug it is. And Willie and Cordelia are watching in amazement as she does this, or as he does this. And then Cordelia offers him dessert, climbing on the table much as a cat would. Uh, and then a cat, an actual cat, Cleo, shows up and walks across the table. And as Irene passes through the room, she says, get that pussy off the table. And Cordelia hops off. I'll tell you what, right? Quality gag that was. That's, That's a, a good quality gag. gag. It was well executed. Um, 
and and then follows it up with "I meant the cat" and the delivery on that 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 little bit of chuckle she puts into it. That's a that's a voice with a, a real talent. And so the cat is Jerry Lines, and it somehow keeps getting back into the hotel. We also learned in this exchange from Irene that Jerry Line is on a work release program of some kind. So she contains multitudes, clearly. A car pulls up outside, which gets Mr. Smith a bit nervous. But it's just local asshole Roach, played by Thomas Hayden Church, here for his weekly appointment with Cordelia. He was the Sandman. He was the Sandman. In Spider-Man the Third. He was also Lowell in uh, Wings, which was his big breakout role, the sitcom Wings. Uh, this is after that. He's also in a another B movie that I really love. It was written and directed by James Gunn. It's called The Specials. I'm sure I've talked about it before, uh, in that he plays the leader of The Specials, The Strobe. And this is a group of superheroes. They came out around the same time as Mystery Men. It's a group of reject superheroes that have a second string team. Uh, very funny. Uh, yeah, and, and uh, a lot of the humor does not play today. That's also worth noting. That seems to be the case with all humor. Like yeah. twenty years from now, like all humor will not play then. It's not true. It's not all humor. I mean, some others do have and will never go out of fashion. But you look at uh, you know you look at what happened to James Gunn. And some of the jokes that are in the specials aren't too terribly far off from the kinds of things that got him canceled. So, yeah. Um, also, Jamie Kennedy's in it. So it's not it's far from a perfect film. Uh, but it is the most Jamie Kennedy performance you're ever going to see. Oh, wow. I've been clamoring for that. I often look at Jamie Kennedy and I'm like, I wish he was more Jamie Kennedy. It's, he's just a an asshole painted blue. That's all it is. It's just an asshole painted blue. Uh, so, as Cordelia leads Roach to her room, Irene slips off to call the popo about the shifty white man who showed up at her place of business. Uh, they're at the diner with Billy fucking Zane, and he is eager to get to step in when he hears the news. Meanwhile, in the mission... Everyone's enjoying the sounds of Roach and Cordelia fucking upstairs. And Mr. Smith asks Jerry Lyon about her rap sheet. No judgments. Really fucking rude and... It's an imposition. Yeah, it's... And it's not polite. It's really not cool, dude. Um, she was a thief. The police then arrive and are approaching Mr. Smith, likely to ask some awkward questions. But Whitey McWhiteface pulls a switchblade and takes Jerry Line hostage. Billy fucking Zane seems rather cool about all this. <laughs> yeah, he won't kill her. And he's right. Because he does eventually drop the knife and gets him, lets himself get cut. He's identified as Frank Breaker. But he doesn't have the thing that Billy fucking Zane is looking for. A relic in the shape of a key. Meaning it is somewhere here in the mission. His room is searched, but Deputy Bob gets distracted by the noises coming from the next room. And we see Cordelia and Roach in flagrante delecto. His nipples connected by clips to a car battery. Fucking brilliant. It's glorious. Uh, and, and Thomas Hayden Church is an excellent um, 
I am in I am in an awkward, deeply uncomfortable position, and oh my god, this electrical current is melting my nipples. Kind of actor. Oh yeah, he's he's the right guy for that. He shouts, "My nipples are smoking!" At one point. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're brought downstairs, and Roach is in a mesh shirt, and I fucking love this movie. <laughs> god damn, that's it's it's so ugly. And lame, this white mesh shirt that he's in, in this back-ass New Mexico town, it just says what kind of prick he is. Uh, The cops have learned that Frank Breaker actually died five years prior. Frank's not talking, and the sheriff wants to lock him up. And Billy Zane really wants that key thing, and he's charming as hell, so they stick around a little bit longer. Drunk Uncle Willie realizes what's happened. Fishing the key out from under the table where he, and nobody else, certainly not me, in slow motion, frame by frame, watching for it, saw Breaker stashing under the table. Fine. We had a nice long shot of the prop that they spent a clear amount of money making. It's a nice looking key. Oh yeah. It's good, it's good looking. You can't just go to like Halloween Town when they open it up every year in the Mississippi mini golf course and get it there. No. Along with the rubber crowns and the plastic skull masks. Oh, it's it's a good looking key. It's bespoke, that. Mm-hmm. Um, Billy fucking Zane asks Willie to put it in his briefcase, but first pour out whatever weird shit's inside it. Uh, and the sheriff, who I, I guess I did care enough to write his name later, it's Tupper. Sheriff Tupper intervenes. As we find out, both of the cars in the crash came up stolen. So the sheriff's going to have to bring them both in. And as they're walking out, Billy Zane... uh, I mean, it's not quite as quick a turn as I am about to say, but he just basically punches his fist through the sheriff's head. Yeah. (laughs) It's just... uh, If you knew who I was, you know, you'd, you'd feel differently. Ah, oh, fuck it. Ah, oh, fuck Turns it. Around. Bye. <laughs> and it and looks wonderful. It looks wonderful, and then the comedy of him getting his head stuck through the his hand getting stuck through the skull and having to try and shake it off. <laughs> the physical comedy is glorious. It's really good. Um, as all of this, as he's trying to take the head off of his hand, Breaker steals the handcuff keys off Deputy Bob, who is busy fumbling with his gun. Uh, Sheriff Tupper's head is dismembered, and and CCH Pounder does this fantastic, like, vomit spit take. So good, because she's perpetually holding this uh, cigarette, cigar, she's smoking a cigarillo with one of those plastic uh, tips, and just flies out of her mouth, and it's so good. Um, As Breaker tries to uh, retrieve... His key from uh, the sheriff's body, which is now on the ground, Billy Zane punches Breaker with the head. <laughs> I mean, there's the thing as well. I think because they've not, they're not playing with like hundreds of millions of dollars of budget. They get so much mileage out of every prop, every gag they do. Mm-hmm. They really make it dense. Uh, oh, uh, I, I've written here in the script again. I fucking love this movie. Of course. Uh, the, yeah. The head is then thrown at Deputy Bob, causing him to drop his gun. 
And this gives Breaker enough time to grab the key before Billy's on him again. And when he presses the key on Billy's cheek, it burns and Billy jumps out the window. And a clearly frustrated Billy Zane. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Ta- drops the Stetson and the Dutzer. <laughs> Duster says, fuck this cowboy shit. Hold on, hold on. <laughs> oh my God. Does this little foot dance. I'm so happy every time I see this shit. And like it, it's juxtaposed against how subtle he'd been yeah. up until his fist went through a cop's head. It just <laughs> it just gets immediately goofy. Like he was serious before, a little playful baby, but generally serious. And then it's just like, all right, fuck it. Yep. We're here. We're doing this. He goes full uh, Zane from here on out. Yeah. Uh, he declares the property condemned and uses a rather poorly nail made nail prop, uh, prop to cut a line in his very clearly not wearing a prosthetic palm. <laughs> she begins oozing the stuff that you find in a glow stick. Yep. Quality, <laughs> top quality movie gags and props here. Uh, he then liberally splashes the fluid around in puddles. Puddles! Literal puddles! Oh yeah! <laughs> that begin to sprout fire and grow demons. I love this. I love the weird little demon puppets coming out the holes. And I love that the people in the mission sit, stand there and watch and murmur for a full <laughs> 90 seconds. It's like Dragon Ball Z. It's like they're just yeah. waiting for the other one to charge up. <laughs> There's a small army of these things before the power goes out. They're actually distracted. By the time uh, they turn around to look at the demons, they're gone. So Breaker, now, oh, now Breaker's going to get to work. Breaker, who understands how all of this stuff clearly works, is involved in it, is, has done nothing. He has some murmuring to do. <laughs> uh, he grabs the sheriff's gun and ammo, and very shortly demons start jumping in the windows. One of them grabs Deputy Bob, and Breaker shoots it until green lightning starts shooting from its eyes. And another grabs Irene, and the same thing happens. Breaker then moves towards the front door of the mission, driving back a few demons, and then pouring some of the liquid from the relic in the doorway, which erects some form of magical barrier that the demons appear to be hurt by if they attempt to cross it. Uh, Jerry Lyon and Uncle Willie make for the back door, but the demons are there too. And Breaker saves them by hitting the demon, attacking Jerry Line with his now uh, switchblade that he'd used to hold her um, at knife point earlier, and then putting up another barrier at this door. And this time, a demon tries to jump through the barrier and is basically fried to death by it. So it's cool. We understand. They do a really good job of establishing the effect of this. Yeah, I like that they throw, like, clearly boneless prosthetic legs over a table when they show the exploded demon like coming through the barrier yes i say i still like a lot of the effects but even when they're not good they're still like there's a darling quality to them right because they found a way to uh to convey it that's it's the whole thing's so goofy and fun by this yeah. point too that it's yeah you can't be upset uh by the prop not looking good because it's too funny that the prop exists. I also like that when when the um, cops start shooting at the demons, they run away like people. They just stop doing all the weird screamy, like, 
screeching and clawing. And then the moment a gun is fired at them, they like duck and cover. <laughs> like well, they're genuinely of scared of guns. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it is a little weird. Uh, well, I mean, and, and it's, I, I mean, I don't know. They, they seem to have seem to have an understanding of the threat of this. And maybe it's just having seen the one get killed is enough to put fear in the others. I don't know. But, uh, Roach decides to make a break for his truck, and he convinces Cordelia to go outside with him. And when a demon does inevitably attack, uh, of course, Roach runs back inside, leaving Cordelia behind. Wally comes to her rescue, shooting the demon to seemingly no effect, until he's told by Breaker to aim for the eyes. Wally is a very good shot. <laughs> and What's his job? He's... he's He's post. He's a he's a postal carrier. That explains it, right? He's a very good shot. And the thing that's easy to maybe miss in this, as you're watching it, if you've made the observation already that shooting him in the eyes is what actually kills them, you could be mistaken for thinking that maybe Wally isn't a good shot. But you have to look at the two or three shots that Wally does take, and they are all center skull, like forehead shots he is a killer and if that was a person it would not have been an he issue could drop him like nobody's business yeah interesting character development and very subtly done uh i was really impressed by that because they could have just had him miss yeah but they they made sure to put that characterization in there and it's just a lovely little touch uh the, uh, he's, anyway, he's a very good shot, and the discharge of lightning from the demon uh, hits him pretty hard, and he has to be carried back in by Breaker and Cordelia. Uh, Billy Zane pops up to offer to give him a hand, <laughs> <laughs> but he can't cross the boundary, and Breaker shuts the door on him. I like that, when he, he hits the barrier, and he's just so irritated, and they like, oh, just come on, give me the key as the door's shut on him, and you just hear his voice trail off. Everybody wants to know what the fuck is up. Breaker says they just have to get through the night and that the demons are vulnerable to the blood and the key and the, and the damage to their eyes. And that's it. Roach, predictably, is not down for any of this shit. I suggest they just give him the key. <laughs> Seems pretty straightforward. Uh, that's not happening. The demons would just kill or possess them anyway, according to Breaker. And Jerry Lyon wants to go outside for her cat. And Breaker says that's a one-way straight, one-way trip. You go out there, you're not coming back in, and I'll kill you. <laughs> he then goes upstairs and seals the windows on the second floor, leaving all of these people behind. <laughs> sure. It's a good time to trust them, now that you've told them that. I'm just going to leave you here, and maybe we'll survive the night. See you later. Yeah. He only does the windows and doors, though. They could have just kicked in a wall. Yeah. It doesn't look like that well-built a hotel. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Understand what it is about like doorways. Maybe they can only go indoors in windows. Maybe. Uh, I, you know, I'm I mean, not up on the rules. They. I mean, none of the characters are up on the rules, which allows them to introduce new ones when they need to. Right. And I don't know. It, they could have put something in there about the fact that oh, well, they're in a former church, you know, a former holy place. Therefore, that's why. Like they could have easily put a justification in there. 
but they chose not to. But it, it didn't matter. I mean, I've seen this film like at least three times and I only just now thought of it. So yeah. they're not counting on anyone examining this film too closely. It's like Rise of the Skywalker, except this is good, is Demon Knight. It's a good film, not bad. I'm probably not going to see it. Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, you miss it much. Yeah, that's the impression I'm very, very distinctly getting from... I mean, I was never a big Star Wars fan either, but I quite liked Force Awakens and and uh, Last Jedi. I liked those fairly well. I think they're up there with my favorite Star Wars films of this series that I don't particularly like. Um, so, yeah, hearing what, what happened there it's, yeah, bums me out a little bit. I kind of like the direction it was headed. So it goes. Uh... As Breaker is sealing portals or sealing windows on the second floor, some lightning illuminates a stained glass cross and a door, and he has a vision of a crucifixion scene where a man seems to be offering the key to a demon. I forgot about the Jesus stuff when I rewatched it. Mm. Yeah. And how audacious this is. Right? They, they're. Oh, okay. Fine. You, they, they have, they are defining all of the cosmos around this, which is interesting. Um, but the uh, the guy seems to be handing key to demon, but then it's struck by lightning before he can hand it over. Uh, I'm I'm assuming that this is how they got the star marks on their hands. I think that that's the justification there. Probably. Like, yeah. Um, Breaker snaps out of this reverie when Jerry Lyon appears behind him and he nearly shoots her. Uh, very expected. No big surprises there. He then apologizes for the whole knife thing and she really painfully responds that she somehow knew she, that he wasn't going to hurt her and asks who he really is. And he says he's just an old man running out of time. And I'm so glad Jada Pinkett got to be a better actress. <laughs> I love her at Gotham. She is great as Fish Mooney. Oh, amazing. Amazing. She is not amazing. <laughs> no, not so much. Um, yeah, it's kind of a bummer. The whole casting of Gotham is incredible. Oh, it is. I've said it before, I'll say it again. I, I legitimately like that show. I loved it, up until the last season, which you could tell they were trying to cram in everything after knowing they weren't going to do any more. But first four seasons in particular... Tremendous stuff. I only watched the first couple, and there were things about it that I didn't care for. Like, the amount of focus that was put on Bruce Wayne it, it irritated me. Because I didn't want a Batman story. I wasn't there for a Batman story. I was there to see all the villains become the villains. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that doesn't quite go away. I've seen Batman be Batman. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, that that's sort of disappointed me but fish mooney's great the cast the the, the riddler is phenomenal in those first oh, couple seasons yeah. as nigma develops um and and i mean penguin my god robin lord taylor is just just masterful my god yeah it's it's beautiful i will i will go back and finish that now that it's done if there's any justice in the world the way like harley quinn um, started on the cartoon show and became a character. And the way you get certain actors become so tied to the portrayal of a comic book character, they start to be inspired by that. I'd love for them to do that with Penguin. They at least need to roll some of that history in because it's... 
it's so, like it's it made me interested in the penguin, and I'm generally not that interested in him as a villain. There are different differing interpretations of penguin that I have found interesting. Obviously, I love the Devito penguin in uh, in Batman Returns because that that one that was a very different type of penguin, and yeah, 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 but but still rooted in a lot of the same characterization. You know, the family abandonment. You know, formerly wealthy, now disgraced type stuff. It's just as opposed to him having squandered his wealth. Uh, coming from the the sewers and having to, you know, have been rejected by that society was a really interesting twist on the character. And I really liked seeing uh, the sort of organized crime uh, rise portrayal in Gotham Mm. that they did, which is very, very different from him, you know, having money and, and squandering it all and still feeling like he's supposed to be part of this society, um, that you, you often see. There's a there is a lot of Bruce and it don't go away, but um, yeah, there's some some great portrayals of a lot of villains. Like their Mister Freeze is really interesting. Um, I'm a big Scarecrow fan, and it's one of my favorite mm-hmm. portrayals. They change the costume up like every so often, and each one is more like ridiculous than the last Ooh. to the point where eventually he's got the the big pointy Scarecrow hat because they don't give a fuck by that point. It's it starts just getting really like like similar to like the Crypt Keeper I get I guess the, uh, they embrace the schlock right yeah uh, and I think it becomes like just this brilliantly melodramatic show and I, I, I the Firefly stuff that they did was really good I oh love yeah the way that they introduced that villain um, I uh, the Joker stuff at least from what I saw I mean they weren't not gonna do Joker. They, I wished they weren't going to do Joker. I kind of, I kind of want Joker to be a villain that comes along after Batman. Yeah, you know, in that that Dark Knight kind of way, in response to Batman's presence, um, because I, that's kind of how I feel that character works really well uh, as sort of an escalation and a mirror. But uh, all the same, I, I did kind of dig that they, at least in that first bit of Joker stuff that they saw, it, it seemed more like they were trying to create a legend upon which this would be renewed. And that's interesting. Uh, And mirrors Batman in its own way, which is kind of cool. The kid kind of annoyed me, despite how perfectly cast he was. Right. Because he was perfectly cast. I can't argue that. The look of him was stunning. So after a beef... A brief bit of Roach being an asshole to Wally and Cordelia and and mocking their relationship. Breaker returns downstairs, and they tend to stashing the sheriff's corpse temporarily. They stick him in the bathroom, although I don't think we find that out until later. They just carry him off. Yeah. Uh, Cleo, the cat, appears, and Breaker freaks the fuck out. Uh, wanting to touch it with the key because apparently animals can also be possessed. Why don't you just, like, possess, like, loads of birds? Because have you seen Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds? A lot of birds, if you piss them off enough, they can really cause a ruck. Look, all right, you, you've you played A Plague's Tale. I have played A Plague's Tale. It's brilliant, Playtale. Let me tell you something about living in the desert. There's fucking rats there. Yeah. Yes. Like, there you go. They'll go up the toilet. They don't need to come through the windows and the doors. Right. They'll just come right up your pipes. Yeah. You fucking... You'd be like that 
rat guy in Batman who makes rats happen. I can't remember his name. Rat lad. It's like Rat King in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yeah. The Rat King in... Oh, he wasn't the real king. No, he wasn't. He was a pretender. No, but the rat part was completely correct. <laughs> well, half correct. He wasn't a rat. Splinter was oh. a rat. If anyone was a rat king, if anything. It was Splinter, right. Yeah. Do you know what a real rat king is in real life? It's a bunch, it's a mass of tangled rats. Yeah. Uh, their tails tied together. Tails yeah. all caked and matted together with shit and clumps. Considered something of a myth, there's no genuine evidence there was one, I don't think. Yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't think it's real, but it is horrifying. The idea is terrifying. You know the worst way to die, in my opinion, is a similar thing. I've thought about this a lot. I'm like, what is the worst way that... I think would be to die for me. And it's like, you dig a big pit, right? Mm-hmm. And you fill it with greasy chickens. Mm-hmm. No, 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 you don't fill it with greasy chickens. You fill it with people. Oh, okay, all right. And that's it. It's just a pit full of people? Just a pit full of people piled on top of each other. I can't think of anything worse. Um. You're just left in there to shit on each other and die. Um, People at the bottom get mulched. This is because Watership Down terrified me as a kid. That had a pile of dead rabbits in it. I think uh, living to the age of 95, that's the most horrifying way for me to die. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. Withering away. Yeah, that's just, that's terrible. That, I, I, and I don't, I, I really... I've got a worse way for you. Uh-huh. I've got an even worse way, right? Right. 95... Uh-huh. Then in the pit. Oh, God. In the pit at 95? In the pit at 95. You wouldn't spend a long time in the pit, blessedly. No, but it'd be fucking awful. But you would quickly become a problem for other people in the pit. Because <laughs> that's Very part quick. of what makes it so bad. Yeah. It, only, it only gets worse in the pit. Yeah, actually... The longer you go. That's the thing. I think it would be better for me at 95 to be in the pit because it'd be over to faster. Be in the pit. Yeah. All those other people who are healthy and hale and, you know, ready to go, they're suffering from me. I'm part of yeah. the problem. Which, in a way, is worse because you haven't planted a tree so that future generations can enjoy it. You've been thrown into a pit. And, in a way... It is indicative to the uh, to the way our current society works, with a whole bunch of old people that are ruining the pit for everyone else. <laughs> you brought that round. Thank you. Why don't we have a stage show? Right. Why don't we have a stage show? Why aren't we Nick Kroll and that other guy pretending to be old men on Broadway? Yeah, we're, where's the S Sterling and Zimmerman? It's not a marketable name. No. <laughs> Really not. I'll have to. I'll have to change my last name to something like Dylan. Yeah, yeah. Jim and Dylan. Jim and Dill. There Dil you go. Jim and Dill. Yeah. You'll be called. You'll be called Dill. Dylan. Dill Pickle Declan. <laughs> so you're Dylan Declan, the Dill Pickle boy, the Dill Pickle dandy. There we are. You can oh, have a. Yeah. You can have a little kerchief and go. I can be a little foppish. Ooh, that'd yeah. be delightful. Be brilliant. Now we, we've already turned this into the smoke and sugar lounge. And then I'll, I'll hit you in the face with a custard pie. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah. So while they're oh, yeah, chasing this... Yeah, we're watching a movie. Mm. <laughs> while they're chasing the, the cat into the basement, Roach then explains to Wally 
his obvious desire to take the key and give it to the demons to get this all over with. And that is one thing that this movie does that I find quite curious. We know Roach is going to do this, Mm -hmm. but Roach has to persist in telling everyone, including (laughs) us, over and over again that this is the thing he's going to do. Yeah. You've seen that episode of Always Sunny in Philadelphia where the one that lightly parodies Game of Thrones where Matt keeps telling everyone that he's playing both sides. Yeah. That's the Roach situation here. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. Uh... So Cordelia steps in, sasses back at Roach, and then somehow he persuades her to go with him to her bedroom so that he can smack her around. It's like you see a character like Roach, and you're like, it's only a matter of time. Yeah. Because you start the film off thinking, oh, he's not immediately abusive to the, to the woman in the scene. Maybe Roach is all right. But then he puts on that white mesh shirt... And you're like, oh, no, he going to hit somebody. Yeah. <laughs> Back in the basement, they find the cat and Breaker touches it with the key and it's fine. But it's also revealed that there's a boarded over tunnel exit down there. So back upstairs, Cordelia's sobbing in her room when she feels a touch on her, so- on her shoulder. It's Billy Zane, his voice like liquid sex oozing into her ears as he promises that he'll give her the unconditional love she's always desired if she'll just let him in. If you watched this scene on its own, it would look like the most pretentious, romantic, made-for-TV movie. I love it. On its own, it's the worst thing in the world. But in this film, it's suitably contextualised that it's okay. And they, and the way it's done is really interesting, too, because she's standing there at the window crying, looking at him, and he's wiping away her tears with, like, spiritual wind. Yeah, there's something very amateur dramatics about it. Yeah, uh, it's an interesting touch. The, 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 and they do a pretty good job of making it explicit and visually clear that that's what's happening. Because the, the way the the liquid under her eyes. Like, I think they just like put a fan right up against her face <laughs> to make it do that, but it actually works. So, Hey, if it works, it works. Yep. Uh, so Wally is knocking at her door and he steps inside and Cordelia rises to greet him. and says she's realized that she's always ignored the guys who really loved her like Wally. And it's getting hot up there for old Wally. Down in the basement, it's discussed that the tunnel could be a way out. But Breaker determines it's too risky, says they're safer in the house. And as if for comic timing purposes or something, uh, as he's saying this, screams start coming from upstairs. Hey. Hey. Breaker kicks in Cordelia's door to find her possessed atop a screaming Wally. She kills him and moves on to Breaker. And as happens in basically every one of these scenarios, because these are the stakes, Breaker loses the key temporarily. Mm-hmm. Gotta do that. Uh, right? Irene retrieves it and attempts to hit Cordelia with it, but instead, Cordelia tears Irene's left arm off at the elbow. Yeah, I always forget that happens in this film. And every time I'm like, oh, yeah. Oh, shit. Like, it's... It's, She's got an arm off. 
it's serious. Like, they're really not pulling punches on this uh, monster shit. I like that. It, you know, often, they'll, oftentimes they'll just kill someone. Yeah. You know? And it's not the kind of character you expect it to happen to. You expect it to happen to more, like, more of a, a stereotypical stock badass who can then be, like, a one-armed badass. Right. But it happens to the, the person running the hotel. Who still turns out to be, yeah, a one-armed badass. badass. Right. Uh, But yeah, yeah. She's great. God, I love CCH Pounder. She's phenomenal. Um, Where are we here? Yes. So she, uh, Breaker gets free in all of this commotion with the arm being torn off, grabs a rifle and kills Cordelia. Boom. Irene is treated with a tourniquet and vodka. Uh... And again, and I'm going to forget to mention this later because I just I completely overlook at overlook it. I'm so into plot, so I want to make sure I bring it up now. Later on, uh, Breaker asks her if she's okay, and she says the vodka's kicking in. And her delivery in that line also, I just I can't stop stressing how great an actress CCH Pounder is because you can hear the little slur in her voice as that alcohol is kicking in. And I love her. And I don't know who's responsible for that decision, that creative decision to have her do that, whether it was her or the director maybe whatever. Maybe she was just drunk. That. I like to imagine that half of this film was made drunk. That's a good imagine. Yeah, I like that. Mm. So the folks of the mission now are pretty restless, uh, and they want to escape through the mines below. Uh, Roach, in, this is Roach's time to shine. If anything, and he has a really good kind of cutting line pointing out that, you know, Breaker's done a pretty shit job of keeping people safe yeah. up to this point. I, to be honest, I throughout the film, I'm surprised Breaker lasted as long as he did from that from that closed indoor studio set of the World War mm-hmm. to now to like 1995 how has he lived this long? He doesn't seem all that good at this, and it looks like he wastes that blood like no one's business. Yeah, I... I mean, I have questions <laughs> about the viability of this whole premise. But, yes, that was that's the, the thing that immediately springs to my mind, is that, like, that blood would have run out so much faster. And you see how much gets poured out every time. Yeah. Like, the volume of that thing is not... Phenomenal. You'd think it were a chocolate fountain. Yeah. I think the the thing that they're trying to suggest is that you run until you reach the point where you have to stand your ground and pass it on. And so maybe you're not really using it that much prior to that. Maybe, yeah. Then again at the end. Then again at the end, yeah, exactly. When I'm yelling, yelling at the film, like, stop wasting it yeah oh no that was a good idea yes yes but then it's like hey you can can you do that on every bus no you'd run out exactly you'd run out yep there's only so much in jesus and there's only so much you can squeeze out of not jesus you can't squeeze blood from a dry jesus yeah you just can't (laughs) oh dear um so Roach starts sledgehammering his way through the boarded up entrance in the basement 
while Breaker has another vision of the crucifixion scene. So we're expanding the lore. And this time, we're seeing a demon being bled upon by the nails driven into, Christ, driven into Christ, and it burns it. As we had seen the key touching Billy Zane before, oh, it's all coming together. So back in the basement of the mission, mission, the tunnel's opened, and everyone, including a clearly reluctant breaker, makes their way in, and he puts a little seal behind them as they go. Uncle Willie's leading them through the mines, claiming he once owned them. There's a bit of background that... I wasn't expecting. Jesus is to demons what xenomorphs are to people. Inexplicable and uh, immediately deadly. It's just acid blood. A- acid blood. Okay, yes, of course. What was I thinking? <laughs> and the second mouth. <laughs> Jesus famously had a second mouth that like, come out and like sniff at Sigourney Weaver when she had a bald head. <laughs> Everyone knows that. It's, that's Well, it was... Um, I think it was Paul, actually, who who wrote about that, right? Yeah. Paul, Paul wrote about Jesus' second mouth and Sigourney Weaver. That seems... Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. Mm-hmm. Paul, 1620. I don't know if there's a book called Paul. And lo, the Lord did open his mouth, yeah. and another mouth did extend from it. Copper, look at that second mouth, I spake. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Jesus morph. Yep. All right, so they... He's eating an apple with it. I said it. Now, now I need art. Now I need... I want to see Jesus' little other mouth. Now it's reached a point where I, uh... Like, I was able to visualize it. I was able to imagine it. but, But now, the second mouth eating an apple. I need to see it. I hope I hope someone listening to this has some artistic skills and a, a little bit of time on their hands and no self-respect. Yeah. Because uh, that's... I might study to become a priest. Yeah? Just so that I can bless something in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Alien Queen. <laughs> I would love that. Oh, someone make me a priest, please. How'd you do it? Did you just get like a bit of masking tape and put it on the colour of your black t-shirt? No, for $30, uh, 30, or 35, 30, $35, you can uh, become a, uh, a pope in the Church of the Subgenius. There you go. Yep. Do whatever you want then. So a uh, Uncle Willie's leading him through the mines, as we say. Jerry Line hears a noise and follows it a load, you know, breaking off from the party like every dumb character in every horror movie. And she finds a kid named Danny, who is the same brat who wouldn't take Breaker's money in exchange for his silence back at the diner. So, there are also a couple of possessed people here. I think they're his parents. I think that's maybe somewhat established later. Yeah, I I believe that's what it is, yeah. Yeah. The gang is chased back through the tunnels and into the mission. But the seal Breaker sets hold up. It it holds up there, and and as long as it's not broken, he says, they're going to be fine. So Roach immediately <laughs> fires a rifle at the demons on the other side, breaking the seal. It's not five seconds. <laughs> they ain't got time to build up to this. No. Establish no. something, then do it. That's this film's motto. They have a one hour, 35 minute running time, and God damn it, they're gonna hit it. Yeah, this isn't, they're not, they're not playing with Avengers time here. 
No. This was before it was okay for films to waste this much of my time. It's it's interesting because there are places where there's a little bit of unnecessary padding, like 10 seconds here, 20 seconds there, that you're like, you know what? They let this seed play out and didn't cut it in editing because they want to hit a full 90-minute runtime. I get that. But then there's shit like this where you're like, I wish they'd thought, oh, maybe we can just extend this out and build something here. Doesn't happen. And it's fine. It's fine. Because the pace of this is such that you don't really get time to think about it until you're analyzing it on this level. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it really is. Like, I, you just watch it and it's consistent in its entertainment. Right. So they uh, all get chased to the second floor now because the demons are able to get in the basement. Uh, Breaker asks Danny what happened when they get up there um and he's confirmed that he's you know not a uh possessed and uh it, it turns out that billy zane showed up and possessed his parents so yes that's those are his folks down in the basement um so we established that everyone's just about out of ammo uh and this leads to another flashback now to world war one and the time when breaker got the key it's it's such a cute set. It's very small. Very small. They, but they packed a lot in to properly make it look like the big war. It's so static is the thing. Like I've watched it a few times and every time this thing comes up, I'm like, what is it with this? What is it with this World War II scenario that just looks off? And this time I watched it, I'm like, okay, it's clearly like an indoor set with no effects going on mm-hmm. like and it gives it this weird static which kind of works for a flashback anyway yeah it doesn't have to look real but there was always something about it that looked a bit off and it is just like a clearly like a small indoor closed set with no other actors or anything visual that indicates that there's fighting going on right they try to get some sound effects in there to help with that you know like shooty noises in the background but it's not really believable yeah it's it just makes the whole thing look a bit surreal but it's a flashback flashback. so it's okay i don't think they were going for it though but i think it's the nature of it being a a recollection because i think they'd have made it even more stylized if they were going for that yeah they've done enough stylized shit in this movie yes you would expect it yeah but it's it's okay it's okay. But it was, yeah, I only bring, I bring up not to so much have a dig at the film, but to explain my thought process watching it this time, like the third time where I'm like, okay, now I, now I see why it was always strange to me. Uh, so Breaker gets the key. It's given to him by a, another officer uh, who has filled it with his own blood. And that's how Breaker got the funny moving stars on his hand. Now I have another kind of minor quibble maybe with this and that's um basically the things that we know now about breaker and the way this key works and the mechanics of the cosmos as it pertains to demon knight right why is this guy a military officer not breaker the guy who had the key before him because that seems like a bad place for a guy eternally pursued by demons to be right like a formalized organization easily found 
uh, technically accountable to people. Like, I could see going to a war zone and getting lost and disappearing in that chaos. But to have been an officer with men answerable to you and responsible for this key seems like an incredibly dumb move. Maybe. Maybe, or maybe he had a fake name on it and insinuated himself to be harder to find than if he was, like, chilling in London Mm. where, you know, the war wasn't felt and there were less people around to look for you, like, to, to, to sort through, to find you. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not inside the head of 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 that character. Yeah, I mean, you know, and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he stole a uniform and has pretended to be an officer and somehow got command. I don't. But it's it's weird. It's just kind of. I see where you're coming from, though. It's certainly if he signed up under his own name, he's made a rod for his own back. Well, I, but I don't think the name thing matters to the pursuers either. There seems to be a sort of spiritual connection between. Oh, that's true. Because the the new guy just shows up at the bus. He knows where he's going. I don't know. I don't get the sense that Billy Zane had to do real detective work to find Breaker. Um, that's another question. Maybe it's just tougher if you're in a war scenario. Maybe it's just tougher for them to get away with it. Yeah. Oh, I mean, with ev- with everything going on, it's also a, a good it's also a good place to hide, and like people would get slaughtered, and it would mm, disguise all of the demon death that has occurred and not draw further attention to what's happening. The writers never thought of any of this. Uh, exactly. Right. That's 100% they, true. They moved on. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and we're going to now uh, with the hotel residents demanding an explanation. Breaker goes all the way back to Genesis. It says that before the beginning was darkness full of demons that possessed seven keys that allowed them to control the cosmos. And CCH Pounder said... You're talking Genesis because the movie did not trust us. Yes. The movie did not trust us to know that he was describing the very first bit of the Bible. They're like, we might need to nudge him along here. Yeah, this is a... Well, they know their audience. Yeah, I respect a a movie that knows that it's being watched by idiots. They're pretty (laughs) sure that there there aren't a lot of readers in the crowd. (laughs) And 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 they I they're right because I'm one of them. Sure, I ain't read a book. <laughs> and you know, you know what though? If you're gonna like expect someone's read any part of the Bible, it's Genesis. Yes. Yeah. By the time you're like a third into Genesis and all of this shit that he's describing ends, it's names. It's lists of names for thirty pages, yep. and there's no no value in it. Uh, real easy to quit that. But nonetheless, the easiest thing in the Bible to get, and Demon Knight thought, they might not. Yeah, we better we better mm. make this explicit. I'm very scared <laughs> that they don't know. <laughs> the problem is, is they fucked themselves over because half the people watching were so dense they thought they meant Phil Collins. <laughs> I don't remember that song. Well, so God shows up and dispels the darkness, let there be light, scatters the demons of the keys across the universe, and for millennia, they've been trying to reorganize. And by the time they got six of the keys, God attempted to spare humanity by having the last key filled by the blood of a carpenter, who, you know, that's strangely familiar, but I don't know if I'm getting that. 
and it's passed from one person to another since. This this film is so audacious. It really is. Uh, refilled by the prior owner before being handed over to the. Nail. It's not even Jesus blood anymore. That's the thing. Is there? They're basically saying some random soldier is is as good as. I wanna be as heavy as Jesus. <laughs> yeah, it's uh. Yeah, I mean, yeah. There's, there's some of it. He says some of yeah. the blood in there. He says, okay, all right. I would, I would feel shortchanged if someone had handed me a key and said, right, this is there's a Jesus special blood in there. Yeah, this is the special Jesus blood key. By the way, most of it's used up. Now hold, hold it under my nose while I bleed into it, please. And I'm like, this is just you, blood. It's the leftover residue. Of the leftover residue of the leftover yeah. residue of the leftover residue of Jesus Christ's blood. And this is legitimate. Look, there's a bit of dry Christ on the lip. So <laughs> right there on the rim. Look, it's there. Don't scratch it off. Leave it. It is there. Yeah, it's there. It's there. You get a blood test it's, and you're going to get Jesus DNA. It's not a bit of dirt. You're going to get Jesus DNA. No, I haven't. I haven't been drinking it. Don't look at me like that. I haven't been drinking. I drank a bit. You I would, drank, okay, wouldn't I drank you? A little bit, right? You I want a little Jesus in me. You drink a bit of Jesus juice. So Roach <laughs> apologizes to Breaker rather uncharacteristically. That's not right. That Nobody doesn't sound like Roach. This is strange. Uh, and then he steals the key, while everyone else is distracted by Danny having wandered off. As Jerry Lyon is searching, she finds herself in a curtain-draped room with. Big canvas paintings or big framed photos or whatever the fuck they are uh, of herself, happy and wealthy, traveling the world. Half this set isn't painted. Nope. Half of it's exposed plywood. Yep. I love it. It's it's really low key. It like they were trying to make some sort of like breezy penthouse, but dark and uh creepy yeah like either that or like some art studio right yeah it's it's a it's uh an environment the, it, again it worked because of the the fantastical element of it right because it's supposed to be a little bit surreal so it's okay i would believe more that faults in this scene were more stylized yeah, I think there was, a, yeah, there was an effort to make it feel um, ephemeral. So she gets this offer from Billy Zane that then transitions into a threat and then back to an offer and she spits in his face. So, and then it cuts and we see a visibly shaken Jerry line returning to the group. I just realized that if I remember how she gets rid of him at the end. Not quite. I thought it was but foreshadowing. I, yeah, right? That's that's And that might have been really good foreshadowing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's close, but that's not quite. I couldn't remember how she got him in the end. I remember she... Oh, wait, no, that is how she gets him in the end. That's right. Yeah. yeah he pulls her in for the kiss and does it. I was thinking, oh, she kisses him, but that's not correct. Well, now I've spoiled the end of the movie. I guess we have to stop. Well, yeah. All right, well, it's been a really good show. Yeah. It hasn't. Uh, no. It never is. <laughs> I read a deputy Bob a proceed into the attic that he lived a long time. He has lived a very long time. You expect deputy Bob, the the big galoot, to uh, go quick. Bumbling guy who can't hold his gun. 
Yeah. No, he's he's had a good innings. Deputy Butterfingers, right there. Yeah. Um. But they're they're in the attic where they find it's the steeple, and Irene says that she forgot this place even existed. This is your building. <laughs> How do you not know you have an attic in your house? To be fair, I did show you a picture earlier of that one that's room I have that I don't true. go into that's full of foam. <laughs> totally fair. That For the listeners, that is 100% accurate. I've got a room I don't go in in this house, and it's full. Like, as I said to Conrad, the amount of packing foam, we'll just call it packing foam, it's supposed to go in a bean pack. The amount of packing foam you're thinking in your head right now pales in comparison to the amount of foam I have in a room of this house that I don't go into. You could probably construct two mannequins of me out of that foam. Fuck, you could probably make two mannequins of me out of that foam. <laughs> you can't... Don't underestimate how tightly packed the box in there is from which a mountain of foam has emanated. I'm not getting my deposit back. <laughs> I'm probably going to owe them if I don't get rid of it myself. Oh, probably, yeah. Yeah, I've, I've had moving problems with that. The last time I moved, and the, the people who had the building were lovely and wonderful, and it was great for the you know two and such years we were there or whatever. And then as we were like, getting ready to leave, we took some furniture uh, out to our trash area. And they bitched about how, like, oh, well, you know, you're going to have to pay to have that, you know, disposed of. We're not going to deal with that. It's like, dude, you're trying to take it 20 feet to another curb. And the trash people are going to take it. What the fuck's your problem? I went and did it. Sure enough, they took it off. Like, yeah. They're, every landlord's great to you until the second they know they're not going to get any more money out of you. Yep. That's how it works. Well, to be fair, my landlord wasn't great to me at all. Well, there you go. It's, so you can expect it's going to get real good soon. I can't wait. Can't wait. Uh, so Irene and Bob find Uncle Willie getting drunk while Danny reads a, an issue of Tales from the Crypt. Hey, that's the movie we're watching. That's that's the comic from the film of the of the TV show of the, the film of the comic. Mm-hmm. Also up here is a bunch of mail. And on the second floor balcony... There's a bunch of mail in to, the room I don't go into either. There's a bunch either. of mail in the steeple. Mm. Uh... On the second, from the second floor balcony, Roach is spitting down at the demons, and Breaker's like, "Hey, man, they hate that. I like this exchange. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. It's, and it's, it doesn't fit anywhere, really, but they wanted to do it. I feel like they just they thought, you know what, this really worked, and normally we'd cut it, but it really worked. So we're just gonna keep it here. I really feel like not." They struggled to cut things in this film. Like, I know there's some things where it looks like they played for time. I'm not even sure that was the reason. I think they just... The amount of stuff they seem so proud of in this film. Not unduly, by the way. Right. Um, It feels like there's a lot... Like, like they got the full fucking Crypt Keeper entrance in. I still think that's because they're so proud of it, they want to always show it in its entirety. Mm Mm-hmm. That could be. Yeah, I would not be uh, surprised by that. It was like, the TV show cut it, but now we've got a film, we can do whatever the fuck we like. Full sequence. <sighs> I'm, I'm sorry, I'm looking, who directed this? I didn't even look. Which, that's embarrassing. Who's responsible for this? Oh, of course, you can't find that information out on IMDb anymore. No. Oh, no, here we go. Uh, Ernest Dickerson. Okay, well, now I have to know who, what else he's responsible. That's a man. 
That is a man with a style. Is it? I respect that. Yeah. Ernest, well, I'm going to check his style. Ernest Roscoe Dickerson. Oh, okay. All right. He's, uh, let's see. He was a director of uh, six episodes of The Wire. I'm into that. Um, Juice. He directed Juice. Bulletproof. Yeah. All right. All right. I can get down for him. He's up to his business. Yeah. I like that. Couple episodes of Weeds in here. He did an episode of The Cape. Do you know The Cape? I don't. I don't know The Cape. The Cape was a very, very short-lived TV action superhero show. Let's see if you could guess what the defining feature of the hero is. What is that? It's a cape. <gasps> no fucking way. Yeah. 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 I know. Shocking. <laughs> it, it, it was. Uh, it has its its proponents, the cape. There are people who really love the cape. But there's very few of them. Nah. Yeah. Uh, so Uncle Willie and Danny then uh, wander into another room where Uncle Willie is surprised to discover there is a tiki bar filled with women whose breasts are exposed for our pleasure. Great scene. You know what I love about this scene the most? Hmm. Is if you look at good old Dick Miller... Mm-hmm. Good old mother's favourite actor, Dick Miller. Not my mother's, just in general, I've assumed. Um, is there, like, trying to be a dirty old man surrounded by all these women with breasts exposed? For his pleasure, let's be honest. But if you look at his hands, I do not see the character, like, trying to grasp for them. I see poor old Dick Miller trying to keep his hands to himself. Yeah. Like, trying and not in a dirty old man like trying to stop himself groping like, i don't want to make anyone in this sequence uncomfortable doesn't want to touch him like i just mm -hmm. his hands seem so like close they're in a grasping motion but they're pulled so far back it's more like he's just walked past him keep the hands withdrawn so nothing brushes against anything he just looks like he doesn't want to touch the boobs, and I'm so charmed by that. I also, I think... That I could be wrong. He could have had a raging bonk on. But there could also be a good character uh, characterization reason for it. You know, here, these fantasy sequences are what the demons, what Billy Zane believes that these people want, right? And it's true. Uncle Willie wants boobs, but Billy Zane thinks he wants the women. And he doesn't care about the women. He's not. He wants the booze. That's the whole reason he's there. Maybe, maybe. But but I also like to think that Dick Miller's just a really like respectable dude. I like to think so. I've got no. I got no idea. You know, maybe he used to chase ducks with a stick. I don't know what he gets up to, or got up to. I'm not inside the head of Dick Miller. I can't tell you what Dick Miller's thinking. His his motivations or his goals. Also, amidst all of these. Um women among them among them is chasey lane at the t at the height of her career of her I've, fame i've heard that name yeah she was the um uh the subject of a bloodhound gang song called the ballad of chasey lane um oh she was huge she was the big like between her and jenna jameson they were the two names in mid-90s porn I remember the I remember the name. Yeah. I don't remember the the performer. There she is sucking on a nub. Yeah, like she was considered she was like a girl next door type, you know, classically beautiful uh star. 
to provide the counterpoint to Jenna Jameson's blonde bombshell. She's loving that knob. I bet. I bet. Uh, I'm, I'm told very... I, I don't know that I've ever watched a Chasey Lane film or scene. I don't, I don't know that I've ever actually seen her perform. This, this film is called House on Chasey Lane. Now, I get that they've tried to make a pun of that, but mm-hmm. it is a shame that she has... That, that she was doing this, like, earlier on in, like, the 90s or what, or what have you, when if she'd have held out, she could have actually had Hugh Laurie fuck her. Oh, dear. <laughs> Why don't we have a stage show? It's it's not fair. There's, there's just no justice. Why don't we have a stage show? That makes no sense. Mm-hmm. It makes no sense to me. She is loving that and all. <laughs> Oh, she, of course, she's really pleased with the sex she's getting. <laughs> the bartender is Billy Zane, who offers Willie a drink that he's obviously going to take. Uh, again, top-notch performance from Zane. He's just, here, Uncle Willie, have a drink. And he's got the toothpick hanging out of his mouth and those shades and... Different accent. It's doing, as I say, this, this film is the Zane collection. We get everything in his range. Yep, get the whole Zane. He could cut together a showreel from this one film alone. Up in the attic, it's discovered that Wally had been reading all of their mail and was planning to shoot up the post office in the name of Cordelia. But he never got around to getting any ammo for his wide array of guns. And yet, can score a perfect headshot. Can score a perfect headshot. Imagine how good you must be at guns to have learned to score a perfect headshot without ever having ammo. <laughs> That's incredible. But he does somehow manage to get like a half dozen grenades and fashion them into a vest for himself. Better to have them and not need them than need them and not have them. That's what I've always said about grenades. And he's real handy, too, because he's already rigged up the thing that allows you to pull all the pins at once. Yep. It's ready to go. Maybe that's what happens when you think, oh, shit, I haven't got any ammo. <laughs> you dig around under the bed and pull out some hand grenades. And all right, if I string them all up together, that'll do. That'll be like a kind of ammo. Yeah, it'll be fine. Uh, a now possessed Willie is attacking Breaker on the second floor as Billy Zane. I've had a possessed Willie. Yeah, oh, the Possessed Willie's great. His face makeup, the makeup they the, they put on Willie to have him be demon Willie is really good. And it leads to an amazing severed head prop, which you do not get often Mm-mm. because they made him just non-human enough while still recognizably Dick Miller that they could make a Dick Miller head just not human enough to where you're like, that looks too wrong. Yep. Indeed. Uh, meanwhile, Billy Zane's popping up into the attic to offer Irene her arm back. <laughs> on, a, on a silver platter, mind. On a silver platter. Oh. And of course, she is a badass. <laughs> I'll come back later. <laughs> She's so casual about it. It's like, you know what? That's fine. We're going to work this out. It's just, she, she like moves the where the amputated arm was towards him. Is that and, a yes? And she says, I'm giving you the finger. <laughs> and then, like, you say, just really casual, just another time, just with that confidence that he'll get, like, wear her down with it. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Jerry Line is struggling with having to kill Willie 
on, you know, an emotional level to a safe breaker. Uh, and we do the classic, you know, possessed person looks normal briefly to try and instill doubt into the person. If you're that, possessing yeah. someone, you're an idiot if you don't try it once. Right? There's just, you know, I mean, just, just for kicks, even. You, you might not even be in any sort of, like, threat situation. But you just want to fuck with somebody. Like, why wouldn't you? I'd do it. I'd do it all the time. Yeah, I wouldn't stop doing it. <laughs> Let's see, what is it? Oh, yeah, so Jerry Line's struggling to kill Willie to save Breaker while Breaker's fumbling in his pouch for the key, which isn't there because during all of this commotion, Roach is strolling down the stairs to offer it to the demons. Of course he is. Of course he is. He's been waiting all movie to fuck up. So Breaker eventually decapitates Willie, but that's not destroying the eyes. So the attack continues until Danny picks up the head and sticks it on some conveniently placed antlers with just the right width to have two of them go into the eyes. Yep. That was a good little thing. Cool. Mm -hmm. Well done. Well done, Danny. Roach makes a deal with Billy Zane to go free. The others will be killed. Hey, if it feels good, do it. I like... He has... Uh, Thomas Hayden Church gets some great lines in this mm -hmm. dialogue exchange. Uh, the uh, And Billy Zane gets that great mop or sponge thing. Yeah, sponge pops sponge out of his tongue. mouth. That's uh, that. I don't. I want to know how they did it. Like, I'm sure it's not complicated how they did it. Maybe he just had one faulted in his mouth, and it's just a hidden talent that Billy Zane is just really good at catching a sponge out of his own mouth with his lips. Like it seems too big a sponge to come out of that mouth. I know sponges shrink down and whatnot, but the way it just like flops out so perfectly, I feel like it had to have been computer animated, but it's so well done that I don't believe it could have been done with computers in 1994. Right, hang on. I know there's been a lot of looking up on this show today. Yeah, yeah. Demon Knight, Sponge, not Demon Knight, SpongeBob. How does that even work? How did Demon Knight Sponge, how did they do? It doesn't say. It doesn't say. None of... Oh, hang on. Hang on. Let's see here. None of the results have the word sponge. I remember that the thing Billy does when he has the sponge in his mouth and offers it to Roach later in the movie wasn't in the script either. That was something he just came up with in the moment, and he had props people racing around to find this sponge. We all thought the gag was great, and we was going to kill, and it did. You can't help but laugh at that moment. It's classic Billy. This is according to uh, an interview with uh, Jer Gilbert Adler, I think. So Billy Zane came up with that. This is Zane's doing, and it is a real sponge. And interestingly, you mentioned earlier in the show how you didn't think he ad-libbed much. I stand corrected. Maybe he, I mean, maybe this was just one spark of brilliance, but maybe he is like a creative little fella on set. Uh, here's another quote. Oh, it's uh, Dickerson, um, the director, or no, not the, I don't know who Dickerson, not important. Billy did a brilliant job of acting that added wicked sense of humor to the collector. He even made all the wardrobe choices. Hey. A lot of Billy's performance was improv too. Holy fuck. My well, there we go. Rocked. Oh my God. Billy Zade. He's not just a fucking good actor. He fucking, because he makes this film as well. Yes. Like, imagine that. Like, so much of it is pure Zane. Wow. I love that. that. I'm glad we looked that up. I, yes, this was worth it. Imagine, though, the first half of this podcast, Billy Zane is sat there listening, thinking, God damn, 
Goddamn Conrad Zimmerman not giving me credit for all my fucking ideas. Computer animated sponge. That's what oh, he's saying. Man. He's going to throw his glass of whiskey into the fire. He won't even listen to this. He won't apparently, have got this far. Apparently a website uh, named Daily Dead in 2015 did a 20th anniversary retrospective of Demon Knight. And I'm just going to read this headline to you. Retrospective celebrating the 20th anniversary of Tales from the Crypt Demon Knight Part 1. It's a multiple part. Why did I not find this wow. and read it before now? Holy God. Uh, I'm not going to do it at this point. I'm just going to accept my failure as a human being and read it later. But that is delightful. Absolutely delightful. He did the sponge. He did the sponge. Oh, I've got some, I've got some sponges. Yeah, now, now you're going to figure out how to do it. I want to see if I can do it. They're one of them ones, they're those sponges that have like the soap locked into them though. So it's going to taste real bad when I do it. Uh, you, you, well, you, you might want to get a sponge specifically for it. Find one that's got a little bit of, of firmness to it that'll flop out that way. Blah. But yeah. Wow. Amazing. So uh, he gets the sponge to mop up the blood seal at the top of the stairs before Roach then puts the key in Billy Zane's case. Uh, says, uh, hell on earth, big fucking deal. I got hemorrhoids. Line of the film in some ways. One of certainly, one of the in contention for the line of the film is that one. Well, I, you know, I'm willing to bet that uh, that might be the line of the film in terms of written lines, because Billy Zane apparently improved all his shit. That's true. Extra credit. Uh, deal concluded. Billy Zane says he was lying, and Roach is killed. And we, as an audience, get the satisfaction of seeing the bad guy die. Cool. Moving upstairs. Billy Zane gets shot through the eye with an arrow and knocked from the balcony. I like that, that scene, because I forget mm-hmm. what he says before he gets shot, but it's something like, you know, only a matter of time before we find you or, you know, you should come out or whatever. Then the arrow hits and he just goes, or not. Yep. And then falls. Yep. Very good. Uh, he also drops the case as he does that and Breaker gets the, the case. And, and then everyone remaining gets sent to the steeple attic thing as Deputy Bob's holding down, holding back the demons with his remaining ammo and Irene comes downstairs wearing Wally's homemade grenade vest, which she uses to stop the oncoming horde. She says, it's supper time. I'm not, not, not the best. Like, I, she didn't do the cooking. Jerry Line did the cooking. <laughs> well, let's not forget she was joined by Officer Clumsy Boy in that sort of Vasquez and Gorman moment from Aliens. Mm-hmm. It's, yep. It was nice. And I liked the... Again, the clumsy copper you think would die really early. Yes. Just a big bumbling cop. It's like, not only does he survive a long time, he's given a nice dignified end as well. Right. He's not, he, he doesn't demonstrate to him, to anyone that he's competent necessarily at anything other than dying. But he does his dying the right way. And I respect that. I give him a little something. Yeah, it's a nice little twist. To that sort of character, who you would almost invariably see die early on in another film. So all that remains is Breaker, Jerry Line, and Danny, the latter of whom is back to reading his comic. Now, only enough blood remains in the key to produce one more seal. Again, 
they waste a lot of this plot. Oh, yeah. Uh, Jerry Line decides that it should be the window. But Breaker instead pours it on the back of her hand, and she produces the seal herself. Breaker then tells her to take the key, that she's the last remaining of the seven, and therefore the one chosen to carry it next. While we never actually see it happen, uh, it's really just sort of implied by the comic book having, like, eyes appear, real eyes appear in the eyes of one of the characters in the comic. Uh, he gets possessed, little Danny, by that comic book, and he attacks Breaker. That's called Danny, not Billy. Billy Zane is called Billy, though. Yes, he sure is. By the way, the puppet Danny monster. So oh. good. I fucking love this. Like, first yeah. of all, it went there. Like, I mean, it, I mean, it made sure yeah. it, it killed off the kid, which is always a surprise in any film. Right. But then they turn him into this fucking just amazing puppet. Mm. The mouth is so wide. The teeth are so long. And then the tongue thing is, I mean, that's just bonus points as far as I'm concerned. Um, yeah, it's it's lovely. Uh, he claws a hole in, in Breaker's chest and uh, shoves his malformed and prehensile tongue into the hole. It is fucked up. Yeah. So Breaker drops the key, and as Danny goes to retrieve it, Jerry Line kicks him through the blood-sealed window, killing him. A dying Breaker refills the key with his blood and tells Jerry Line that she may live one lifetime or several, but eventually this same thing is going to happen to her. He expires, and the blood seals around the mission all glow, and Billy Zane rises from the hatch up to the steeple and reopens Breaker's dead eyes. What a great touch. Mm-hmm. Uh, he then suggests to Jerry Line, hiding in the shadows, that she just give up, and she emerges totally covered in blood. Now, we as an audience, unless we're totally fucking stupid... <coughs> We know, right? Like, you'd have to really, you'd have to wonder, did I miss five minutes? Yeah. It's the only way you don't get this. Um, <laughs> but she, uh, she takes Billy Zane's hand and his hand burns because she's covered in breaker's blood. And I mean, it's clever. That's a really smart move. Yeah. Uh, moving through the mission, she steps into the bathroom where she is then surprised by Billy Zane, who has removed the shower curtain and is using it to wrap her up and throw her in the tub with the corpse of the sheriff. And he cleans her off with the water from the shower, and she gives him a stabbing in the eye to no effect other than breaking the sunglasses that he likes. But he was really upset about. like, yeah. And it, again, just Billy Zane's talent. Like He looks genuinely like... Hurt. Like he looks like someone would look if they broke their favorite glasses just suddenly in that moment, and it's just so nice. And then he moves on very quickly, like you would, like a like demon would. would. Yeah, but and then says that shit, that eye shit only works on low level demons. I'm like, oh, of course, they've thrown in a new rule as the plot needs. But they haven't. It was already established that it didn't work because Breaker shoots an arrow through his eye. So we, we already know that, that that's not, as the audience, we've seen it not work. That's fair. So, in fairness, yeah. But I do like how the, the explanation is just hand-waved away. It's just, right. doesn't work, move on. Speaking of moving on, uh, Billy Zade 
uh, is she, he's he's cleaning her off. Get, she gets stabbed. She takes a big old swig from the key as he's complaining about his sunglasses. And Billy Zane drags a really obvious dummy back to the lobby of the mission, monologuing about the big promotion that he's going to get, which now I want to understand the corporate structure that the demons have. Very curious about that. And then he performs a dance sequence with her as he tries to persuade her to more or less marry him. I mean, this is a trope we've seen a billion times. And, uh... If it weren't Billy Zane being incredibly fucking charming doing it, I'd be really tired of it. Uh, this is also the point at which I think Jada Pinkett does her best acting. As she is trying to tread that line between comical and frightened with her holding the blood in her mouth. Yeah. Uh, she gets to do some face work. And I think that that's where, at least at this point in her career, her talents really lie. Because it ain't in delivering dialogue. So, they do this dance thing. She's trying to keep from spitting or swallowing throughout the entire scene. Uh, and the silence angers him. Causing fiery energy to erupt from his crotch. <laughs> because, yes. <laughs> then he asks forgiveness. And if she could ever imagine loving him. Uh, though incapable of even saying the word love. I, oh, yeah. The, the way he just... Uh, uh, me? <laughs> he. I think I've seen other people try and do this. Nobody does it like Billy. Uh, and then he decides if he can't have her soul, he'll cut out her heart. At this point, she spits the blood in his face, calling back to when she'd spit in his face before. She spat in his face. And Billy Zane begins to scream and melt apart before engulfing in flames to reveal a giant demonic form and exploding. And as a new day dawns, Jerry Lyon takes the key, refilling it one more time with Breaker's blood, and hits the road. She boards a bus, sealing the door on her way in. And when it stops later for another passenger with an old briefcase, the man decides not to board, and Jerry Lyon watches her new pursuer as the bus drives by. The stranger begins walking down the road in the direction of the bus, whistling the Tales from the Crypt theme as he goes. And then we're back to the Crypt Keeper, who informs us that Jerry Lyon lived happily ever after, is traveling the world and having a fabulous time! Uh, he attends the premiere of Demon Night, where a guillotine is waiting for him, and his still-talking head is cut from his body. Roll credits. And then we get a post-credits scene at the end, featuring the, the Crypt Keeper teasing a forthcoming film, Dead Easy, uh, which obviously never materialized as the next Tales from the Crypt. Film is Bordello of Blood in 1998. So It was also known as Fat Tuesday. Right, yep. A, a New Orleans-focused uh, or set zombie film, which sounds great, actually. Like, can I mean a zombie movie set around um, Mardi Gras could be really incredible. Yeah, and if it have, if if it had kept up with Demon Knight, yeah, which it probably would have if it wasn't so bloody. If all of these following films hadn't been in development hell. Yeah, I think, and uh, the reason, as I think I, I, I don't remember, because it's been now so long that 
since we started this episode. I can't remember if I'd mentioned that this uh, Demon Knight was originally intended to be the second film in a trilogy of these. Yeah. And they went with it because it was the most Tales from the Crypty. So I, I have to wonder how, like, sly or twisty or whatever Dead Easy was going to be, or what elements that they determined weren't Tales from the Crypty enough. When I think about Tales from the Crypt, I don't generally think of a big-scale zombie movie. You know, lots of that threat. But then again, here, Demon Knight has some of that. Some of those elements are there with the demons outside the house and everyone's trapped in. There's, a, you know, a bit of that Night of the Living Dead uh, threat to it. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know if it would have been good or not. I, I do know that I don't like Bordello of Blood near as much as I like Demon Knight. But that's Demon Knight. There you go. We did it. It's a really good film. I mean, it's... Oh, my God. There are movies you watch that are, like, so bad they're good. This isn't that. Like, this is just a, a good film. It is. It's a genuinely entertaining comedy horror bit of schlock. It knows what it is. It's just funny enough, knowingly funny enough, to forgive any faults it might have. It has enough talent behind it throughout... Um, the directing and editing aspect, the production aspects of it work very well because they know what kind of movie they're making. So the, the cuts generally make sense. The plot is, you know, as threadbare as you'd expect, but that's all it needs to be. Given what they were working with, and given that it's a Tales from the Crypt film, mm -hmm. it's... It surpasses expectations when you first see it. Oh, well, yeah. When you're told, I'm going to see a film, uh, I'm going to see a Tales from the Crypt film, your expectations are immediately lowered. And, I mean, even if you liked Tales from the Crypt, I think if you liked Tales from the Crypt especially, like, you know what you're supposed to get from that. And this is even better than that. Yeah. Genuine, generally, though, it would have been a better film if they'd have not had the tales from the crypt stuff if it was just its own thing but then it right. may not have gotten as much attention as it did and become a cult hit who knows it may have done it may not have well you look at from dusk till dawn which is i mean that would have been a fantastic fantastic tales from the crypt movie uh because it it does the same stuff it's the exact it's got that flavor of a tales from the crypt right yeah uh and and that was Tremendously successful. It was tremendously successful because it was Quentin Tarantino. And, like, and the old George Clowney. Yeah, and George Clooney. Uh, you know, so post, post Pulp Fiction, uh, pre-Kill Bill Tarantino. Even I saw it when I was younger, and I, I, I was notoriously terrible at watching films. I'd barely bother to watch them. I saw uh, Dust Till Dawn, of course I did. Yep. And it, uh, oh, I mean, that was, and that was my first exposure to, um, oh, who is the guy who plays Machete? Oh, Danny Trejo. Danny Trejo. That was my first exposure to Danny Trejo. Danny Trejo's in it. Um, amazing in it. Cheech oh. is in it. Yeah. In multiple Cheech. roles. Yes. Three, I think. Yeah, that's a good movie too. But you're right. I mean, this, I think if you put this and that side by side, you would not see a whole lot of distinction between them other than... This one starts and ends with the Crypt Keeper. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's it. That's that's uh, I like this movie. Yeah, it's 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 a damn good film. Yep, Damn good film. Uh, and next time, next time 
we'll, we'll come back around to Detective Pikachu, right? Yeah. Yeah, def- we're still doing Detective Pikachu, don't you worry. Both of us thought it was a different film we watched. I will rant about that next time. Yeah. About the amount of times I'm having to rent a very bad film. Um, but anyway, <laughs> we'll get and, to and that. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's not good. Yeah. Anyway, right. we talk about another film. Detective Pikachu is pretty good. But, yeah, Detective Pikachu is solid. But we'll we'll talk about that next time. And we'll yeah. see you then. Bye. Bye. <laughs>